0: Welcome to the Chelsea fancast fueled by Guinness powered by celery the show that is savoring every last minute of Eden Hazard's Chelsea career uh, what a difference two home games makes what a difference starting with Loftus-Cheek and Hudson-Odoi makes but there's still only one Chelsea player who we can rely on to make a difference and boy did he do that last night Eden Hazard put in a masterclass, virtuoso performance against West Ham last night, scoring quite possibly the goal of the season to put Chelsea 1-0 up, and then scoring a second towards the end of the game to put the match to bed, uh, Without it, uh, with, it, with it looking increasingly likely that he'll be off to Real Madrid in the summer. Performances like that show just how important he is to Chelsea, and the thought of not seeing him in a blue shirt leaves a somewhat bitter-sweet taste. Uh, But rather than mourn the loss, it's probably better to savour every last minute of his Chelsea career, as we may not see his like at the club for quite a while. So therefore, the Chelsea fancast number 458 is a bittersweet symphony. So there you go. Uh, And uh, you may have already noticed that I haven't been interrupted uh, by Jonathan Kidd tonight. Uh, Some may say that's a blessing. Others will say what a shame. Uh, But either way, uh, dear old Jonathan, it cannot be with us tonight because, of course, it's... uh, it's, uh, basically Tuesday, if anybody's realised, because we played last night, it being Monday, when we normally do the show. And, of course, Jonathan, uh, so some of you may have seen on Twitter, is that uh, well, he's basically doing a net at Lord's Cricket uh, Ground. Yes, I know. Don't ask. Uh, anyway, but uh, we're also a bit bit light-handed as well, because the usual suspects, uh, have, for various reasons, crashed out. So uh, just to show you how lucky I am and lucky you lot are uh, to Considering I gave him about 10 minutes' notice, we have got the absolutely wonderful uh, Joe Tweedy on the show tonight. Now, those of you who know Joe and have heard him on this podcast know that probably Joe could do this on his own and still sound absolutely scintillatingly interesting. So I am very grateful and very lucky to have him on board. Joe, great to have you, as ever, and thank you.
1: Yeah, no problem, Chidge, and uh, good evening to everyone in the mixer.
0: So there you go. So be a kind of a, I mean, you know, fear not, it will be entertaining, I can tell you this, because I have done... Uh, four-hour radio shows with just me and somebody else, and uh, it, we don't ever run out of things to say. So there you go. Uh, now, on the show tonight, uh, lots and lots of stuff, as always. Um, but, first of all, we're going to delight in Hazard's performance against West Ham, a muse over the bittersweet farewell that looks increasingly likely. Uh, in part two, we discuss the turnaround in Chelsea's performances since Sarri started both Loftus-Cheek and Hudson-Odoi, and we ponder what back-to-back wins uh, which now leave Chelsea in third place, mean for the run-in and our hopes of a top-four finish. Uh, in part three, we look ahead to Thursday's Europa League first-leg quarter-final against Slavia Prague. And we've got an interview uh, to play you with journalist Jan Pikus, who writes for Czech football website Eurofotbol, uh which is dot .cz. I've, I've checked it out, and unless you speak Czech... You've got no chance. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, uh, Jan knows Slavia Prague inside out, so it's well worth a listen. Uh, All this, of course, plus this week's parish notices, and in part four, loads of your emails and questions to answer. There's some crackers this week as well, so do stick around for that. Now, don't forget, you can listen to the show live every Monday at 7 o'clock by going to Mixler, which is mixlr.com forward slash Chelsea hyphen fancast, where you can join in the chat by posting on the live chat page. And of course, you can always tweet at Chelsea Fancast during the show to tell us what you think about the games and anything else on Chelsea. And I have to say, Joe, it's very weird not hearing Jonathan uh, either kind of scratching uh, with his mic or uh you know coming in with, i know it's just bizarre <laughs> it's, it's like I, I know i don't I don't know i'm weirded out by it i don't know how, what to think of it but i can tell you i am weirded out by it it's now seven minutes well i know i don't think i've ever done the intro that quickly i mean christ we're normally about 10 minutes in by the time i get i get in there but there you go uh right talking of the mixler people uh we've got loads and loads of people in there as we always do the wonderful dean mears uh the uh, one of the main writers for the wonderful ChelseaFanCast.com website, Evening Dean, uh, Adam Finnegan, who's just realised we're on. Yes, yeah, sorry, Adam, I forgot to put the notices out. I've been having a bit of a day today, uh, so there you go. Happy bird, Nigel. Lovely to see you in here, and uh, Mark uh, or Aurelius Thirteen. Lovely to see you too, Benny the Blue. Siege mentality 4, glide like boga. They're all in here, all the usual suspects, Bob Uzre, Boomer and uh, Baba Chelsea, Joe CFC. Goodness, Matt Jazz is in here. Fantastic. Great to see Matt Jazz in here. I wonder if Matt Jazz is going to the Slavia Prague game. It's not far up the road for him. Uh, so there we go. Loads of you in here. I'm sure that many more will join as they realise that Chid is stupid enough to do a podcast on the Tuesday rather than the Monday. Anyway, and more of this in a minute. Right, I mean, what can you say about last night other than uh, I mean, I mean, first of all, I thought it was a pretty good performance actually. I mean, I'm I'm seeing some people saying it was a bit meh apart from Hazard, but the reality is it was a Hazard masterclass. I mean, that first goal, which I had an absolutely beautiful view of, uh, what an absolute world class goal! Um, It's quite stunning. I mean, got to be a contender for goal of the season, hasn't it, Joe?
1: Yeah, it was it was just magical, really. And the the crazy thing is, it it's one of about ten that you can think of that are very very similar that mm. he scored like that. And you know, when you think of of players in world football who are capable of that kind of, not just the the finish, I mean, under the pressure, but I mean the kind of the dribble to set it up, it's it's a handful of players in world football that can sort of do that. And you know, to to look at those in the Premier League, I think Hazard probably is is the only player really that that can do that on a regular basis. Uh, just. You know, carry the ball so powerfully and, and quickly and the, the the footwork on the edge of the area was just you know it was absolutely insane it's, it's what you see these you know freestylers do on, on YouTube in five-a-side games where they're infinitely better than everyone and they're taking the piss and it was just it was just incredible the, the footwork the the low center gravity the, the kind of body swerves the movement and then obviously the composure to, to finish when the, the guy is obviously literally coming in to, to sort of wipe him out was was incredible and you know, it, it was it was kind of just a, a real moment of of quality that I think actually not, not only was it just that obviously you know the first goal is important in, in these sorts of London derbies, but it seemed to it seemed to kind of take West Ham aback a bit. You know, they seemed to at least for the rest of the first half they weren't very much within their shells. You know, they didn't really push on, in, on until the second half. I think it almost took them by surprise as well. So, you know, not only was it just an incredible goal from an incredible player, you know, demonstrating every quality you know about Hazard that. That people love, but I think it, it shell shocked West Ham. And I think it, it really showed for the rest of the half. So yeah, an absolutely superb goal, um, probably one of the best that you'll see at Stamford Bridge. Superb skill, superb individual player. Um, and I think it really put us on the front foot for the rest of the game.
0: It certainly did, and I mean that wasn't his only contribution by any means. Because I, I mean I was there, and it was you know it was nervy those last ten minutes, and it was crying yeah. out for it to be put to bed. And I mean, I, I mean, good God! Whoever, whatever West Ham defender it was who uh, who left him in acres of space in the penalty area needs to be shot. But he put it away, really well, and you know, calmed the nerves, sent us all home, very happy. I mean, Joe, you just said something really interesting there that it's one of the best goals we'll see at Stamford Bridge. I, I don't think you're wrong at all about that. Um, but the question it kind of leaves in my mind, which we, I mean, today's been really interesting in in all the the news coverage about it, and there's been an interview on Sky sports as well all that kind of thing but Sari's comments as well last night I thought were quite revealing but yeah. there there really there really is a sense that that he's gonna go isn't there
1: yeah I mean I, I think realistically we've we've probably done quite well to have have seven years from him and we've had quite a lot of the the best years of him as well um yeah it, it felt particularly after after last night you know I know Hazard did did fairly well to kind of swerve the question from from Jeff Shreve's um but it, it it kind of feels like it's a natural kind of conclusion, you know, sort of coming to the end of a cycle. I think he he probably would 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 see himself as a player who who maybe kind of finishes or, or spends the the latter part of his of his peak at, at a club the size of Real Madrid. You know, it's it's been no no kind of real no real surprise really or no real kind of secret that he's a huge admirer of, of Zinédine Zidane, and I think also that that obviously plays a huge part in it as well. So I, I expect him at least this summer to to move on. Um, and I think actually probably the way that he's conducting himself about this, I know that he, you know, he sort of leaves all these comments on international duty. But I, th- I think there's a little bit of a different way that he's gone about it than say someone like Courtois, who's um, sort of you know kind of engineered it in a in a slightly underhand manner. If you if you Snake. read into some of the exactly yeah if you read into some of the the comments about how he potentially said he was going to sign a new contract in January and so we'll leave it to the summer and then obviously reneged on that kind of last minute and left Chelsea in the lurch. I think Hazard at least you know is, is kind of I'll fulfil my end of the of the bargain, you know. I'll, I'll get you back into the Champions League potentially, and then, you know, if I can go to Real Madrid, that would be fantastic. Um, yeah, you know, I think I think he'll go. I don't think he's he's not pushed through it publicly as much as as other players. So I think hopefully that there will be a let's say more of an, an amicable uh, an amicable departure than than when Courtois left.
0: I mean, you know, he, he's quite a peculiar beast, is Hazard. You know, because there's no doubt that he's got the talent to be right up there as one of the best in the world. And occasionally, he, he kind of proves that. But I actually genuinely think he's a, he's actually a nice bloke. I actually also genuinely think he really quite loves Chelsea. I always yeah. yeah, you know, you definitely get that impression, which sounds like a really weird thing to say, because let's be honest, we know that, you know, most players don't really love us. They just love playing football and earning lots of money. But I really get that impression with him. So I actually think that he you know is quite happy to do the best he can for us and the club and i know that sounds like i'm really being naive but i get that feeling and i mean you know there's only one scenario where i see him staying and that is if we do get the transfer ban imposed and of course i think we find out about that on thursday mm. um and that's that's really because of course you know if the, the club would obviously you know they're not stupid they're business people they're, you know they've got an asset on their hands for about 100 million they're going to want to recoup that, but if they can't you know if they can't get a replacement for him with that hundred million, I think you know they might try and just keep him here and of course the the character dangle him then of course is that he goes on a free with their blessing effectively, which means he can you know get a really good deal from Real Madrid salary wise and basically well, I mean he's, he's made for life anyway isn't he so maybe yeah. it might not make much difference, but that's the only kind of scenario I can see where he might not stay where he might not go.
1: Yeah, I think I agree on that. I think that there's that there's only really one way that he stays, and that's yeah, if, if we get a transfer ban and the club are like, you know what, um, you know we we need to keep you for for one more season. Okay, fair enough. It's it goes slightly against what you want, but you know you have a contract, you're going to get paid well. Fans absolutely adore you. The, the club have been fantastic to him, and as you say, you know he leaves to Real Madrid with. Uh, you know, the ability to negotiate. I mean, again, I, I don't think he's one of these players that's wholly motivated by money. You know, I think that's also how it comes across in terms of how he, he has a relationship with the club. You know, he's not sort of one of these kind of money grabbing players. And, you know, i think a lot of people were saying, you know, why, why haven't Chelsea thrown more money at him? I don't think that was necessarily the the case. I think he wants to move for, for kind of footballing reasons, which is, is quite nice in sort of this day and age that he just, you know, he, he's not really sort of chasing a, a huge salary increase, but to put himself in a position where he could potentially you know, negotiate a better deal with Madrid for himself would be perfect. But, yeah, I, I, I can't really see uh, anything other than than that scenario that, you, that you've kind of painted yeah. with, with how he reigns at the club.
0: I mean, Sarri said something. Uh, I mean, you know, m- much as all this Sarri in, Sarri out stuff going on, and I mean, you know, he, he, he has made some real stupid decisions that have annoyed a <laughs> lot of people. Let's not be let's not sugarcoat it. But I, I, I've always quite liked Sarri's unbelievable uh frankness and honesty uh when he talks to the press and and i think he i mean the way he described it last night was like it would be a disaster if hazard goes but i think more to the point what he was saying was that you know you can't replace edin hazard he is irreplaceable because he's, he's he is that good and he is right up there uh with the best in the world so how on earth do we even begin to contemplate that if he's not here next season
1: yeah, and I think that the worrying thing is, is if we if we somehow sort of circumvent this this transfer ban for the summer, it's that fee that we get for Hazard. You know, I don't have a great deal of faith in the club that we reinvest it appropriately. You know, will we will we go out and sign uh, an incredible player for sort of similar money, or will we try and do what we normally do, which is you know turn one player into into four or five kind of bit bit parts, and then sort of do a bit of a, a Tottenham post bow where they kind of regress massively and. You know, it's not like we're going to sort of luck into a Harry Kane or, or, or Pochettino or something like that. So I have, uh, you know, huge reservations about not just, uh, you know, not just him departing, because I, I don't think you can replace him. I don't think you, you can replace his impact. He, you know, he's probably one of a handful of players on the planet who you just can't, you can't just go out and buy another Eden Hazard or buy someone who is, who has this sort of impact on, on the games or, or kind of controls games in the way that he does. So, yeah, I think that that's that's the worrying thing though, changes is, is, if he goes, it's how we replace him. You know, mm. I don't think we've necessarily shown a lot of uh, you know acumen in the transfer market over the past you know number of years in terms of some of the signings we made. And if we go out and blow that money on three players who turn out to be you know other you know expensive players that we then send out on loan the following season, you know it's not just a question of, of Hazard going; it's it's that money being you know effectively a, a ticket into buying a top centre forward or a top forward or you know top wing or whatever. You know, I don't particularly trust Chelsea to use that money uh, effectively because, we, we've already spent sixty million on Pulisic, Um, You know, who, for many people, you know, if you're going to buy him, it's, he's probably half, maybe thirty, forty million pounds tops. You know, I don't really trust us to invest that money in, in a in, in a sensible manner, which is is kind of the the you know the the logical kind of conclusion of of, of him being sold. But it's it's a tricky one. You know, we'll, we'll miss him enormously you know, you can't replace him, but it's it's the worrying thing of how we'll spend that money when he goes.
0: I'm totally with you on on the not going down the stupid Spurs decision when they sold Bale, of buying you yeah. know four or five really average players for about twenty twenty five million each. I mean, if 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 I was in charge, some would say that wouldn't be a bad thing. You know, I I would spunk that hundred million straight on the best striker I can buy for yeah, that money, I so. because I mean you know, without sounding a bit callous about this, Hazard is irreplaceable, and I mean the the impact that this guy has on the team is so huge. Uh, I mean, he he absolutely affects the way we play. The number of times we've all sat here and moaned and says that they leave it all to him because he's so good. I mean, he really is like that kid that we all uh, played with at school when we were playing football at school, who was so much better than everybody. You know, he just ran rings around everybody, so you just let him have the ball. But the thing is, uh, you know, you can't replace him. So, what have you got? Well, you know, we have got some very good players at the club and some certainly some good players coming through. So maybe it means you just change the way that you play. But what you've actually got to replace tangibly, I mean, I've just, you know, uh, I found some. He's st- 16 Premier League goals this season with 12 assists. He scored 19 goals in all. The next closest to that is uh, Olivier Giroud with 11. You know, so yeah. and he's, he's responsible for 49, you know, either directly by scoring or assisting for 49% of Chelsea's goals in the Premier League this season. Yeah. So yeah. from a tangible point of view, you cannot replace the player, you know, no. you, but you can possibly replace the goal. So I, I, I mean, what we're absolutely missing and crying out for is a 2025 goal a season striker. So I, I would spend the 100 million on that. Boom. Let's not piss about like Spurs did. No,
1: I, I completely agree. and I think actually, you know, in, in any system, you know, it doesn't matter if it's Sarri or whoever else is in charge, having a, a top centre forward who who just scores and by that, you know, creates his own chances, can go his space, like an Aguero, like Costa when he was here. You know, a, a top centre forward kind of masks all sins in, in many ways. You know, you get away with, with, with taking liberties a bit in terms of if you're trying to implement a new style of football because, you know, those two, three chances that you create during a game... One or two of them are going to be finished off now, instead of them all going, you know, completely to waste. I think it was really interesting in the second half against West Ham, in particular, where we seemed to put the ball across the goal. I can't remember four or five times, and no one was there. Yeah, you know, yeah. you'd expect a a really, as you say, a, you know, a hundred million pound centre forward is there maybe two, three times, you know, on on the end of those crosses, and the game is is out of sight. So I, I completely agree. You know, the money for me has to be invested in a in a top class centre forward, and, and whether that is going and buying the. You know the the best and brightest young thing, which we maybe missed out of. You know, in this peer tech guy who went to Milan in in January, or going and getting someone like a uh, like Jovic, who plays in, in Germany, who's who looks to be you know potentially like a, a Luis Suarez, Aguero type player, who's banging goals for fun. You're going by that, or you you just go and throw your money at, at a top established player. You know, it's not a. Uh, not a Lewandowski, not a Higuain. Maybe it's someone in their in their kind of you know late twenties. But it's it's goals that we need, you know. And, and and you won't be able to replace Hazard's creativity, his 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 general presence in the team. But I think you're right. You, you can definitely try and replace the goals, and that should be the priority.
0: Yeah, I mean it's tough though. You know there aren't uh, there aren't many. You know, I mean you know Lewandowski. You could argue. He's at the wrong end of his career. Yep. Suarez, you could argue, is the wrong end of his career. Aguero is the wrong end of his yep. career. But I agree, you want to buy a, you know, an established world-class striker, but I don't know if there are any established world-class strikers who are the right kind of age, 27, 28 maybe. That's what you want. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, don't, I can't really... I mean, Icardi, maybe? I don't know. I mean, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Icardi's the sort of the one that jumps out, but there seems to be so much baggage around him oh, as a yeah, I know. as a player. And I, I know we, we kind of sort of embrace that a bit at Chelsea in terms of having players who've got a bit of a sort of psychotic personality. But you know, I th- think there's th- there's maybe a little bit more to it with him as well. So you know, while I think he would probably come here and score loads of goals, it's 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 that sort of underlying un- or the sort of undercurrent that comes with him, which you you kind of think the club maybe is is trying to sort of stay away from now. So you know, if, if it's not a if it's not someone like a Cardi then. I think the club have got to be looking at, at you know, someone, maybe the next, the, the kind of the next big thing, which, you know, is we, we've seen this Pierre-Tec Guaito go to AC Milan and absolutely start banging goals left, right and centre. And there, there are a couple of other good young strikers in Europe, but, you know, you're, you're kind of, you're gambling on them coming to the Premier League, replicating their form, you know, and, and sort of kicking on as, as players. Um, and, you know, we, we, we're not the, we don't have the best luck with centre forward. So, you know, the amount of money we've spent on them since, since Abramovich has been here, you know maybe. Uh, no, less than a handful of them have been truly, truly sort of you know outstanding for the for the club. So, it's a it's a bit of a tricky situation. You know, there I said there are a number of of good good young players who I think could kick on and become that next wave of top class players. But you have to get it right, and it's not something that we're
0: we're particularly famous for. This is very true. Knowing our luck, we'll probably sign Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Uh, but there you go. <laughs> um, I think you know the reality is if if, if he's going to go, which I think he probably is, and and you know what with all that talk about. Uh, you know, a lot of people not going to the games for various reasons. Although I still absolutely stand by my point that, you know, when you move a game to a Monday night, uh, and I mean the uh, Easter Monday in particular, uh, where the tubes are also on strike or not running or something, you know, you are gonna you are gonna get people who are not gonna go. But I think it's actually galvanised me to make sure I go to every possible Chelsea game that I can. I mean, there might be there, there, we've got what five I think league games left uh three at home uh and uh you know possibly another one two um, home matches in the uh in the Europa League so you know we've got between 7 and 10 matches left yeah you know i urge you if you can get a ticket you know go go and watch this guy play for chelsea because you won't see it probably again after this season and i'll tell you what joe the other thing that's on my mind is that and this is even more sad, really, is that there's a very good possibility that we might not see the like of Eden Hazard at Chelsea again because we bought Hazard uh, after we won the European Cup. So we were the dog's bollocks in football at the time. Mm. And that, and, and Hazard was the most uh, promising young talent in the in Europe at the time. Everybody wanted his signature, and we only got it because we won the European Cup. So it's kind of crossed my mind that you know, when are we likely to be in that position again, where we're we are the top dogs, uh, we can attract the top talent, and also we're prepared to spend the money to get them? It could be a long time, couldn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that that last question is 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 a pretty fair reflection of where the club are now. I mean, you know, it's it, it's gone from being probably a a top European club, you know, top eight club, sort of sitting at the, the top table of European football. And, you know, being realistic, yes, OK, we're currently further in the league, but we, we are scrambling a bit domestically to keep up with with Liverpool and, and City, you know, so that sort of, uh, you know, a seven-year period, we've, we've kind of fallen a little bit in terms of sort of, you know, the kind of our standing in, in Europe. And, you know, I, I don't think necessarily that we have the pull um, potentially that we've had previously. You know, you could look at, obviously, that we've we signed in-demand players, maybe like Jorginho in the summer and Kepa. Um, but I don't feel often that we... When let's say when there's a competition for a top player, we don't seem to want to engage. I think it's partly down to how we negotiate. You can see that we're always kind of pushing for the, you know, for, for kind of the perfect deal for the club, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when you have other clubs who are willing just to sort of pay what the other club wants, you know, it, it kind of really leaves you in a, in a pretty bad situation in terms of negotiations. You know, I'm, I'm not you just use the, the the John the John Stones transfer as an example. You know, when we we were trying to buy him. I think we put our an original bid in for about twenty, twenty-two million pounds, and he ends up getting sold for nearly fifty. So you know we're, we're undervaluing players by almost you know a hundred percent of their of their value when they go. And we 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 deal with these incremental negotiations. You could see all the the, re, the relevant bids being linked in the press. City coming at the end and just pay what pay whatever Everton wanted at the start. So you know, and and Stones isn't even really you know comparable to to someone like Hazard in terms of talent and in terms of you know upside as well. So when you can't even by players who, you know, I imagine Staines would probably would have wanted to come to Chelsea. You know, if you can't just go and buy them outright, then it really does, you know, kind of leave you wondering where the club will be in, in the next, you know, two, three seasons if, if we're not in the Champions League, if we're not kind of making strides forward. Because, you know, you're not going to go out and, and go and grab the, the best, you know, maybe the best young talent at Ajax who could potentially go and be a superstar because he'll go to Barcelona, he'll go to Madrid, he'll go to PSG or, you know, God forbid Tottenham or or Arsenal or, or or someone who's who's doing better domestically so I think, I think you're right you know we, you know it's going to be difficult to to attract that level of talent you know without there being a real emotional attachment with with the player to the club or, or, or the club you know kind of doing doing sort of things behind the scenes uh, to sort of secure the signature so it's, it's going to be a bit of a tricky period for us and and yeah I make you completely right you know You've kind of got to admire Hazard and Hazard's talent, you know, for the for the remaining games that he has. Because, you know, Bar Bar Hudson are all exploding and becoming a, an absolute superstar player in the next few seasons. There's not really anyone in that squad currently that you, that you're going to look at and think, "Yep, yeah, this is this is the guy that I'm going to come and see. This is the guy that's going to sell tickets." So, yeah, I think you I think you're right on that, Judge.
0: Yeah, I'm getting a bit of grief on Mixler about it. I can understand that, but the fact of the matter is that football is a cyclical game. It really, really is. And I think you know there are definitely. There are definitely reasons why we should be able to to buy some of the best talent in the world. You know, it's it's you know we are situated in the best part of London, which has always been an attraction. Um, we've got some great history now, without sounding too much like Liverpool. Um, there are lots of good reasons why people want to join us, but the reality is, is that things have changed and moved on. We are not prepared to spend the money that the clubs above us are. Uh, you know, I, I hate to say this, but Arsenal and uh, and Spurs have now got better stadiums than us. Uh, Liverpool are now, you know, backing you know the manager with a lot of money and a lot of ambition. City can throw any money at, at anybody, and also have got Pep Guardiola as the manager. And it yep. does, you know, it, it makes a difference who the manager is. You know, I think a lot of our momentum uh, that we gained. Uh, you know, when Roman turned up was when we brought Mourinho in and a lot of people wanted to play for him. And this is how it works. And I think there are are various levers which we are not able to pull at the moment. It doesn't mean to say we won't in the future, but I think right now we need to be realistic about that. So I hope that answers your questions. I'm not trying to be deliberately negative, just a realist. I am nothing if not a realist, Joe. Now, here's the good thing. I mean, as you know, you and I both on Twitter quite a lot and I was seeing lots of interesting comments about hazard kind of predicting his uh his leaving the club and of course everybody's sitting there saying he's the best we've ever had at chelsea you know he's the greatest of all time he's a chelsea legend um i think it's a really good question actually um I, I have mixed feelings about this because i mean is he a legend like john terry frank lampard didier drogba i'm not so sure i think he's a legend but is he up there with them is he chelsea's greatest player of all time again i'm not completely convinced by that is he Chelsea's most talented player of all time? I think that that would certainly ring a few bells for me. I think he's immensely talented, but I always, I'm always left with that feeling that maybe, he, you know, he, he he hasn't been as good for us as he could have been. But of course, that's really unfair, isn't it? Because I think sometimes we we look at the talent of these players, and in a sense, they always they always kind of never live up to our expectations, which is really unfair because you can only do. What you can do. I mean, where, where would where would he stand for you in the in the pecking order?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the the, the sort of way you, you've kind of set up is really interesting because you know the the legend and, and greatest player kind of I think that encompasses something more than talent. It, it sort of you know what have they achieved at their club? What's their sort of legacy at Chelsea? And I think you know when you look at players like Terry Lampard, you know Drogba, their kind of legacy is is that sort of initial kind of first ten fifteen year period. Under, under Abramovich you know the trophies they delivered the you know Drogba is like the finals you know the, the big game player and Lampard was just you know this exceptional career at Chelsea Terry sort of being the leader I think if, if I was if I was having my personal let's say Mount Rushmore of Chelsea with the, you know the kind of the four best players I think Hazard personally squeaks on as the fourth player ahead of some others and the reason that I say that is because I think if you look at what he's achieved, I mean, again, you know, we can, we can debate some of the, the, the European performance and stuff like that, but I think he's been the, the best Chelsea player supported by the worst, not necessarily the worst supporting cast, but I don't think he's been blessed to have the supporting cast that say a drop or a Lampard or Terry did in their peak. You know, he has often been Chelsea's best player, maybe Chelsea's only, only player really capable of, of winning games and, and maybe at times sort of head and shoulders above some of his teammates in terms of his talent. And, I think, you know, when he's been surrounded by, let's say, some of the the better squads here, you know, I think he's often been the best player when Chelsea have won the title, you know, and I think that's with surrounding him with not ex- an exceptional squad. You know, we've had some really good players in that point of time. So I think it also would have been really interesting to see him maybe, have, you know, at, at his peak, playing in that early Chelsea side, or maybe under Mourinho or under Ancelotti, seeing what he potentially could have achieved there, because... You know, a lot, a lot of made is, you know, a lot of it is made of him. Maybe, as you say, not being as good as he can be. But I think a lot of that is because he hasn't had the players around him to maybe enable him to go to that next step. You know, you look at uh, Messi being the undoubted all-time great, but you'd be very hard-pressed to not look at the supporting cast that he's had in that time. He's probably had, you know, some of the best fullbacks, some of the best midfielders that have ever played the game. He's played up front with Neymar, with Suarez, with Thierry onri I mean, it's, it's a bit of a. I'm not to say it's an easier task to be as good as he is but obviously you know you've got players who can enable you to to kind of really sort of reach the peak of your talent and I'm not sure if Hazard has really ever sort of been blessed with a consistent cast who can support him in that manner so yeah I'd have to say for me I think I do think he is a Chelsea legend I think what he's achieved you know given given sort of I'm not going to say the sort of austerity measure at Chelsea but obviously there's been a bit of a change of tactics with how the club's been run the past few years the fact that he's won league titles the fact that he's won cups Maybe you know, there's an argument that we, we could have done a bit better in Europe, and he could have maybe played a bit better. But you know, I, I always go back on, on on looking at those games against PSG and stuff like that. You know, they they targeted Hazard. He was our only real threat. They mocked him at the game, and then you're you're looking for one of other Chelsea's ten players to step up and do something, and they couldn't do it. So you know, it's it, it's it's a tricky one. But I think the context maybe you know after he's gone will be a little bit look a little bit more kindly upon him. You know, in a few years' time, looking at maybe a supporting cast as to why he wasn't sort of a Let's say like a Ballon d'Or winner, or like you know scoring twenty, thirty, forty goals a season. Um, I think for me, he's a Chelsea legend. I think he's the most talented player we've ever had at the club, and he he does just squeak. I'd say just behind those three that you mentioned, for me, is the is probably the fourth best.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with all of that. Actually, I mean, I I think for me, he's the most talented player, the most skillful player I've seen at Stamford yeah. Bridge. I mean, even even more than Zola, who would have always got my vote. I'm too I'm too young to, believe it or not, you might not like these people out there, but I am actually too young to have seen Peter Osgood play for Chelsea. And he was always reckoned to be pretty good, as was Charlie Cook, another player I didn't see play for Chelsea in his prime. So I, I would say certainly he's the most skillful and talented player I've ever seen play at Chelsea. And and I mean, you know, last night was even, you know, proof if you needed it. But my own feeling, Joe, is very much the same as yours. I actually think that, that we've wasted Hazard. And I think it's a huge, sad, I think maybe in 20 years' time, people might write books about this because I think it's a huge tragedy you know he came in after we'd won the Champions League our expectation in those days was that we would probably win it again and you know he was a a cog on the on, on the road or whatever the mixed metaphor I'm doing here but he was seen as you know the next step towards that yeah and then then we stopped spending money and it all went madly pear-shaped apart from the fact of course we still won titles we still won cups a lot of it down to him but there's no doubt I agree with you there's no doubt that uh you know he's he's played in a team with much lower quality players in the last six years uh than we had for the six years before that yeah and he's had to carry the team I think in many respects and I I think it's such a shame in a sense if, you, if you're right if you'd have put Hazard in a team of uh, equally good players in their own positions it would have been very different for him and I think you know, again, I think this this is also a proof of the measure of the man because he is not stupid. He knows that. You know, he'll know the quality of the players that he's playing with, and yet he's still stuck with us and done his best on the whole for the club. And I think that uh, he deserves a huge amount of uh, you know plaudits for that. But there you go. Um, look, let's just kind of wrap this up, really, because I think if he is going to go, and I and I and I really do, uh, and I really do think. Uh, Hang on a minute. Interjection. Glide like Boger. I've worked. I, I've 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 researched this. There's a fact. Actually, I don't know if only I could find it and I could tweet it to you. There's a wonderful animation which compares the spending of every major club, the top 10 spending clubs since the year 2000. And it's an absolute fact that pro rata we have spent less money. I mean, a lot of it's been one in, one out. A lot of it has been, uh, you know, we have, I agree, we spent a lot on Morata, we spent a lot on Kepper, but we spent it out of the money that was coming in. The pace of our spending has certainly slowed down since 2013. It's an absolute fact. Where was I, Joe? Right, what Eden can do. Eden Project. Thank you. What Eden can do, if he is going to go, which it looks like he will, Uh, Eden needs to do several things in my mind uh, to see us right which I think he will try and I think yes last night proved it in a sense but I think if he can do everything he can to turn up for the rest of the games of the season then he needs to try and get us in the top four before we leave because that will help us considerably in terms of money in terms of who we might attract to the club all things being equal of course we might not be able to with the ban Uh, I think the most important thing and this is just me being me really but he needs he needs to turn up uh, next Sunday and give the yes. performances of his life and bag a hat trick against Liverpool and uh, beat them, stop them winning the title, and in the process save uh, save civilization as we know it. Um, and I think finally, wouldn't it be great if uh, if we could win the Europa League? That would be his last match. We win another cup, another European uh, trophy. What a way to go, Joe.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I-, I think hopefully last night has set the tone for, for Hazard and. I see this being for him personally his his kind of his world cup with Chelsea you know he's got this sort of period of games now he knows probably he's leaving at the end of the season and I don't think he's the kind of player who would want to leave you know kind of a bit of a damp squib you know not really putting any effort in I think he's going to do everything he can to to not only kind of obviously deliver Chelsea top 4 you know and and if if he does you know in terms of his transfer fee that 100 million pounds is, is easily nearly you know could potentially be doubled in terms of the money that that brings in for the club so now there's there's a huge monetary incentive that way you know the, the liverpool game you know thankfully he's he's always played really well against liverpool particularly at anfield he's one of the few players that seems to thrive up there and i do hope that that you know he's his kind of final sort of little maybe nod to the Chelsea fans is going up there and beating Liverpool, uh, and as you say, saving civilization in in the process. You know, I think that's that's definitely achievable. And winning a Europa League, you know, I felt quite quite sorry for him. I think he was injured, wasn't he, for the for the last final? Um, it would be nice for him to, to kind of depart on the pitch as a winner with a trophy in his hand from Chelsea for for what has been, you know, as you say, saying, an absolutely stellar career since he's since he's signed for the club. But uh, top four, I think, definitely beat Liverpool, and hopefully. You know the the last image that we have of him in the Chelsea shirt is with him standing there with the with the Europa League trophy, um, you know, and and uh, kind of riding off into the sunset, having done his bit to sort of secure Chelsea's future in a way that uh, you know Didier Drogba did previously with with the penalty in, in Munich. So there's well, there's some nice uh, symbolism there.
0: Isn't there, Just? I think it would be very very fitting for us and him it would be a lovely way for him to go out and uh, but i think actually you know, let's get our priorities right the main thing is to beat liverpool stop them winning the title yes. and save civilization <laughs> so let's hope he does that on uh, on uh, sunday of course the thing is is that you know in a, in, a, in a, you know that's all still on by the way people i really i think um, we might have turned a corner anyway we'll talk about that in a minute Only place for Chelsea fans. FootballFanCast.com Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the boys on the Chelsea Football FanCast. Total nutters and proper Chelsea. Right, welcome back. I'm Stamford Chidge. You are listening to the Chelsea Fancast. Uh, it's a, it's kind of a, a, fan, a fancast redux in some ways. Less people, but far more intelligence than usual because, of course, I've got the wonderful Joe Tweedy with me. Evening, Chitch. So there you go. Now, a uh, quick shout-out for the website. Check out chelseafancast.com. Lots of good blogs on there by the likes of... Uh, Alex Churchill, the girl who likes balls, and Dean Mears, and Nick Stroudley, and uh, the wonderful Jonathan Ellis, of course, who always writes a good review and preview of all the matches. Now, there are people who are yet to be discovered in the Amazon rainforest, for those that have been listening to this show for a long time, but uh, the Football Blogging Awards are upon us at the moment, and uh, thanks to your brilliant, brilliant, brilliant efforts, you lot out there, Uh, We got enough nominations and votes from you to be a finalist again in the Football Blogging Awards for the Best Podcast. Now, that's the seventh time uh, we've made the finals since 2012. Uh, And, of course, as you know, we won the Best Podcast Award in 2012 and 2015. So, of course, we've now got another chance to go for the hat trick. It would be lovely to get it. It really, really would. Now... All the votes cast, all the votes, even if you voted before to get us to the finals, do not worry. They all count towards the final vote. But, 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 we do need you to vote again. Uh, And there are many ways to do this. The first, you can vote on Twitter by tweeting, I am voting for at Chelsea Fancast in at the FBAS for hashtag best podcast. Or just go to at Chelsea Fancast on Twitter and you'll find a pinned tweet. Uh, right at the top of our stream, and that will have a link, uh, a clip, which you just click this link and it kind of automates that tweet and you just, you know, tweet that off you jolly well go. Um, You can vote on Instagram by heading to the Football Blogging Awards Instagram page. Click on the relevant best podcast image and then tag our Instagram account, which is at Chelsea Fancast, in the comments. And, of course, you can vote by going to the Football Blogging Awards website, which is, amazingly enough, footballbloggingawards.co.uk, forward slash vote hyphen now and uh, you choose chelsea fancast for best podcast and finally uh, an e- even easier way to do it if you like you can go to the chelsea fancast website chelseafancast.com and you'll find a banner on the home page where you can click through and vote in one go now uh, the awards evening which i will be going to is going to be believe it or not at the etihad stadium on the uh, 9th of may which is where the winners will all be announced so uh, hopefully, not only will it be the only trophy uh, that Chelsea... Well, I hope, hope we win the Europa League, obviously, but it might be the second trophy that Chelsea win this season uh, and certainly the only result we're going to get at the Etihad. So make sure you go and vote for us. And while you're doing that, uh, you may have seen also on Twitter and uh, on the Football Blogging Awards website lots of other... Uh, there are, I mean, it's actually brilliant. This is the first time in my memory, because quite often I'm the only bloody one up there, you know, the only Chelsea finalist. Uh, But this year, uh, our mates across the pond, London is Blue, they're up for the best uh, international content creator. Uh, Chelsea Echo, uh, which is run by Simon, who used to write for us, they are up for best club content, or no, best new content creator. And 100% Chelsea are up for best club content creator. I think that's all the people you need to go for. But again, I've put out various tweets on that with all of their links. So go and vote for them too. Let's make it a blue day or evening and keep the blue flag flying high. Go out and vote. Uh, You've got about a couple of weeks. I'll let you know when the voting is due to finish at the time. So there you go. Right. Um, I thought it was a really good night last night uh, against West Ham. I really enjoyed it. Um, It was a really good atmosphere, I thought. It was a proper game. I thought we played really, really well. And frankly, Joe, you know, given what we've seen before, if we play like this, I have no problem with it. If we pick this team, I have no problem with Sarri. Um, Do you think he'll, you know, has has something changed?
1: I think it has. I think a lot of it has has got to do with with the shift in
0: personnel. You
1: know, I think that we've we've stopped some of this kind of tentative build-up where we seem to almost uh, have some sort of, inbuilt mechanism where we have to play 70 passes before sort of attacking and it's one of these kind of uh, drills that you're having training where you've got to make a certain number of passes before shooting. and it seems like we've we've become a lot more I don't want to say direct in a negative way in that we're lumping the ball forward but but we seem to be a lot more aggressive in terms of our, our possession you know you have I think maybe the introduction of Loftus-Cheek the past two games where he's, his ability to carry the ball through midfield I think hudson Adoy is is far more direct than William and Pedro on the right hand side you know that he Ninety-nine times out of hundred, is going to attack his man and try and get a cross in from the right-hand side, or at least try something positive. I think kante has been exceptional with his energy going forward, and also maybe the, the you know the introduction of, of Emerson at left-back, who seems to be a little bit more of a of a, of a foil for Hazard and seems to be a provide a bit more balance on the left-hand side. But I think that this is this is maybe an, an evolution of, of the sort of football that Sari you know was trying to implement because it feels like we're not trying to sort of make passes for passing's sake. It's not this sort of Overly patient build-up, which you know I, I have no problem with. You know I think it has its time and place, but I think against against Brighton and and and, and West Ham, you know, we, what we've seen is, is just a lot more. You know, kind of directness and aggression, and, and it, it feels like we're we're finally seeing something which resembles more of a Chelsea style. You know, this this sort of not get the ball forward a million miles an hour, but carry the ball. You know, be be creative, be aggressive, be more be more direct with sort of our passing. And I think it it is really playing off, and I'm completely agree with you. Know you pick the pick this team. You know if you, if he keep trying to sort of replicate this playing style, then I don't think there's there's a huge problem there.
0: Well, exactly, because I think one of the, I mean, you know, look, I, I've gone on so many records, so many times, saying I don't think this is all about Sarri. I mean, I think he, you know, he, he has been a bit of a dick sometimes, and he's brought a lot of it on himself. But I think a lot of the aggravation about him is more to do with other stuff under the. You know, under the radar, that's been festering for a while with support. But there's one thing that's undoubtedly rankled with people is that we don't look, we don't want to turn into Arsenal, and we don't like bored, boring, sideways passing football. And I think I mean, that's how I see it. Well, you know, that's yeah, what happens. Right? It is right. Yeah, yeah, it's how a lot of the people see it there. And yeah. the reason is, is because for a, a long time, with all the success that we've had recently, it's been very up and atom football. It's been physical, fast, and direct. And it's exciting. That's exciting to watch. Um, I mean, I think it was interesting last night because, you know, and I I think you're right, I think having Hudson-Odoi and um, Loftus-Cheek in the side, uh, you know, we've got players who are direct, who will get the ball and run at people and try and beat them, something that we've been crying out for for a long time, way before Sarri, if the truth were to be told. But the interesting thing is, I mean, we have far more, we had seven shots on target last night and about 20, you know, in all. Which is, you know, we had more shots on target than we normally do, but we still only, you know, like I said, I was there and it was pretty nervy. Yeah. West Ham came back into it in the second half because he Pellegrini put an in the middle, and he was far more effective there. He got more joy out of uh, Louise and Rudiger than he did out of uh, Aspie, and uh, you know, it was it was in the balance, you know, and it was one of those games where you're thinking fucking Hernandez is going to score like he always does. And, and we're, we're not going to get the win that we clearly deserve because we were so much the better side. So, you know, I still think we, you know, we still got an issue with scoring goals. I mean, that sounds yes. churlish to say when we've scored two goals. But, you know, let's not kid ourselves here. There's still work to do. But I really, like you, I thought it was, we're going in the right direction. That is the kind of football that I'll happily watch. You know, that I was excited last night. It was good. Enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, if, you are, if you're trying to marry together something which is distinctly sorry with, with characteristics that, that have made Chelsea great for the past, you know, 15 years, I think that that hybrid, that style of football is something that can work in the Premier League. You now, I think what, what we're seeing in the past couple of games is, yes, you know, we're still passing the ball, we're still keeping possession, but as you say, there's a lot more kind of oomph to it, there's a lot more kind of directness, aggression, there's a lot more kind of attacking intent, you no know, players are really sort of committing, you know, in it, it sort of seems to be that he's he's maybe, uh, you know, I don't use the word stumbled across, but he's he, he has almost sort of stumbled across a, a system or style of play which retains some of the principles that obviously he wants to put in in terms of being more of a possession-based team. But he seems to have kind of three some of the players to actually, you know, kind of unleash their attacking instincts and, and be a little bit more fluid when we don't seem as rigid in, in the setup at, at the moment. So if this is something that, that continues and develops, then you know so by all means you know carry on sort of with with this sort of style of football i think it's it's great if you had some better players in you know sort of over the next few seasons again you know i think the style of play will improve but this is the direction that i think we need to take we need to be aggressive we you know if you want to play this passing style but but pass with intent pass with aggression pass to create chances don't just sort of pass to you know shift teams left to right but we don't really necessarily have the the quality to pick out that killer ball to make use of the space and you know, actually pass to pass to pass to do something and i think you know it's 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 been decent, you know, but as you say, we, we, we can't really kid ourselves. You know, there are still definitely issues defensively, as you say. Um, I'm still not wholly sold on, on the sort of the d- dynamic we have with the back form, Jorginho, and how they kind of interact off the ball. Um, but I think, you know, there, there are definitely definitely imp- signs that we've improved over the past games, thinking back to the Everton game in particular. Um, and I hope, obviously, that this is something that, that can continue.
0: Well, here, here, I mean, and the irony, of course, in all of that is that, you know, moving forward quickly, push, putting the ball forward quickly, is very much what uh, Sarismo, to avoid calling it yeah. Sarri ball, which will upset Paul Crowder, uh, is, was all about. And I think that is quite ironic. But I don't see why we can't play our own version of it and everybody's exactly, yeah. happy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, one again, I mean, we didn't really get... We, well, I'm not going to talk about the Brighton game on here. We've got more, more, more to talk about than that. And we kind of did it on Friday on the Love Sports Show. But... I mean, I was so impressed with Ruben Loftus-Cheek against Brighton, but I was equally impressed with him last night. I mean, I I think this is a player that is really coming of age and beginning to stamp his authority on games and and believing in himself that he belongs at this level in this team. And And I tell you what, mate, what will live in the memory with me for a long time is the way he absolutely monstered the uh, the second coming of Bobby Moore, also known as Declan Rice, <laughs> last night. Yeah. I mean, he monstered him. It was just joyful watching that. Do you remember that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. I mean, people know that I've been a I've been a fan of cheek for for absolute ages, and and you know, when he was seventeen, I kind of I wrote something about him saying that he could be sort of the next the next big thing to come for Chelsea. And I think now you have to admire his patience. You know, he's he's. I don't think he's been handled particularly well by the club from 17 to 20. You know, he barely kicked a ball for Chelsea, sort of training stuff, went out on loan, kind of found himself, obviously became an England international. But this season, he's really been patient. I think what we're seeing now, I think you're right, is a, is a young player sort of kind of coming of age in a team. And, you know, you're looking at him now and, and he seems to be, you know, the the kind of the starting midfielder in this setup. I think he brings balance to the side. You know, he's... he's Link up play, which is you know slightly sad that, that Hazard potentially is leaving, but the way that they interact, you know, is 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 incredible. Um, you know, his <laughs> his assist to Hazard for the first goal, which is quite yeah. funny that he's got given that, but you know, it's it's another sort of thing thing for him to, to add to this season. But the, the Deccan Rice stuff was was comical towards the end. I mean, there was I don't know if if uh, th- there's a number of kind of gifts flying around on Twitter with with Deccan Rice. I mean, it, it looks a little bit like a you know a year seven trying to sort of play football against a sixth former at, at times. It, it was. You know, embarrassing maybe a little bit for him towards the end because you know Loftus Cheek was was wearing him like a rucksack at one point and sort of yeah. shrugged him off and he ran off. And you know, it, it's it's difficult to really quantify if you look at just you know European football in whole. But there aren't many players who have Loftus Cheek's blend of of size and power with his his feet. You know, one of the runs he went on in the second half where he kind of slotted him through three or four players. You know, you you expect that from Hazard and Pedro and William, but not someone who's you know six foot three and, and probably like you know eighty ninety kilos. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm super, super happy for him that he seems to have found his place at Chelsea. You know, he he is one of these players that always seems to come across as someone who has always wanted to be a Chelsea player and wanted to do it at Chelsea. You know, he's been here since he's you know eight years of age, come through the academy. You know, seems to have a great relationship with with Hudson Adoin and a lot of the younger players. Great relationship with Terry. He could be that sort of continuation link in 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 the club. You know, someone who is. Who has got the the sort of the the spirit from 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 Terry and can kind of continue that with some of the younger players? But I think generally that the past two games he's been fantastic and you know hopefully I think he uh, he gets a well earned rest in, in in the Europa League game and starts at Anfield. But you know I think he's he's coming to his own. You know it's and it's now looking very difficult for for anyone to kind of replace him. You know it's it's such a you know such a unique combination of, of skill that he has, his his size and his his technical ability. So you know delighted for him and I just hope now that we can figure out his his back problems. Whether that's you know surgery over the summer or something that they can do, and he can get a run of games sort of you know going towards the end of the season, and hopefully you know moving into next year he becomes a regular and, and the first player to really establish themselves in the uh, in the side post on
0: Terry. Well, I, I agree with that. I, I I think you know what what uh, has dawned upon me is that he's he's almost kind of the perfect modern midfield player yeah. because yeah. he is that he's that powerful and that big, but he has got such quick feet and a turn of pace but the way he you know basically bullied Declan Rice off the ball was just I actually actually did burst out laughing I mean it's it's a shame you weren't there because you would have heard it just being a few seats down the road from me actually interesting enough the mysterious uh, season ticket holder who's hardly ever sits next to me I can't think why I don't think I've done anything to deserve it he's a really lovely bloke he's called David as well and he was there last night it's the first time I've seen him for like months and uh, we had a good beer and a Chat at half times. Top bloke really enjoyed uh, having a, 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 you know somebody sitting next to me that I can talk to. How lovely! Anyway, um, the one thing I would say about Loftus Cheek is that you know we know he's got this back issue, which I think somebody told me was sciatica, which is not something you you can like do anything about. You just have to manage it. Uh, and of course, I think that's why he got substituted. But sadly, there were quite a few boos going around, and my my suspicions are that they just didn't realise that, and they were probably just upset that he came off. But uh, I think just to try and clear that up, because I know that there was a bit of stick flying around. Um, the other thing, uh, of course, we had uh, hudson Adoy uh, starting last night. And uh, again, I-, I think, you know, he wasn't perfect, but uh, it was OK. He- he- it was another good shift that he put in. He did some really good things. Again, he's just so direct, Joe. That's what I love about him. And he can beat people and he brings people into the game. And uh, fr- frankly, justifying his selection, which right now is what he needs to do.
1: I completely agree, and I think last night, you know, you could have put a number of players on the right-hand side, and I think because Hazard was so dominant, the game seemed to completely flow through him and Loftus sheep, particularly sort of, you know, end of the first half, second half.
0: But I'll tell you game- what, John, in the first half, everything was going down the right. I yeah. mean, the way, the way that Aspie, Kante and Hudson-Odoi linked up with Loftus-Cheek floating around there as well and Jorginho, it, it was really interesting to see. And I, the number of times you saw Hazard way out on the left in acres of space yeah. as another option. It was really interesting to see that balance suddenly. You know, we had options on both flanks.
1: Yeah, yeah it, it's such an interesting dynamic because I, I think the... The thing when you have Willian, I think Willian on the right-hand side is is just stylistically very similar to Hazard. You know they want to slow the game down so they can beat a man and then do something with the ball. Pedro maybe is more of kind of a slasher. You know he tries to sort of get in behind and and sort of create chances. Whereas I think we've you know with hudson and what we're seeing is he he's almost like an old-school winger when he plays on the right. You know he wants yeah. to beat his man, he wants to get crosses in, he wants to sort of be direct. And well, I think actually that that you know his his pace of play really compliments, you know, Hazard on the other side. Hazard can still sort of slow the game down. But you could see how many times that switch of play was open to to, to Hudson Ladoy from Hazard, you know, in the first half and second half. You know, it was it was on a lot. We felt like we had a lot more natural width in the game, which was also, you know, really, really good to see because I, I feel sometimes we're we're far too narrow in this system. Um, but yeah, you know, I think again, you know, he he had a good outing. I think he, he's kind of building up in, in terms of selection. You know, he didn't have his his moment, you know, an assist or goal this game. He was unlucky maybe not to score. Um but I think, you know, what, what we're seeing is, is a guy who now belongs at this level. And I think that, that's the important thing for him is that he he doesn't look like a kid playing football. He looks like a young player who's sort of starting to make his way into a into a Premier League side, which is is the main thing. You know, he's gonna have games where he doesn't have an assist, doesn't have a goal. But I think it's it's his confidence on the ball where every time he touches it. He always wants to do something positive. He's always trying to to sort of influence the game. And I think if he can keep that mentality while he learns more about being a Know, playing as a traditional right wing or being you know getting adjusted to premier league football i think i think that skyes is limited him i think he's so incredibly talented um and as you say i think he's you know justifying his selection and again hopefully we can see more of him as the as the season comes to a close
0: well let's hope so i mean the other thing that occurred to me actually is that you know the last couple of games uh with loftus-cheek i mean hazard obviously and and kante i would say but he's been the, be- the you know the next best player on the team and that's how that's how highly I've raised him in his last couple of performances. Now, there's something of great import that we need to, uh, we need to deal with and sort out here, Joe, because there are, in fact, uh, some uh, interesting uh, Hudson-Odoi chants. Always good to, to see uh, a chant for a, a young player. And, of course, there's the ubiquitous, Oh, Hudson-Odoi, which, let's is it, is not that imaginative. But um, our mates at We Are The Shed have come up with a, a rather wordy chant, which always worries me at Chelsea. I mean, I don't know how the Williams song gained traction because there's loads of words in that. I'm not going to sing it, but it's to the tune of uh, Bob Marley's Buffalo Soldier. And it's a local lad from Wandsworth, been Chelsea since birth, rose through our academy, plays for club and country. When he's running down the wing, you can hear the Chelsea boys singing Oi, 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 Hudson Adoy. Which, which, you know, is a great song. It's a great song, but I've got to be honest. And and I, I think Marco and I kind of mistakenly decided that uh the last bit which is uh oi 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 hudson adoy sounded very much like the banana splits we see so you <laughs> know men of a certain age will warm to that and and i have to say we did try and get the oi 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 hudson adoy oi 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 hudson adoy go and i think that's the best i you know just stick with that man that's perfect that's brilliant i i love that so i don't know where do you stand on this joke?
1: yeah I, i'm with that i mean i think the the first the old hudson adoy chant i mean it's Every club in the world, or yeah. at least every club in England, has got a version of that song. And I, I do like, I do like the the, the abbreviated, let's say abbreviated Buffalo Soldiers, just the chorus. At least I, have, yeah. I haven't heard any other side with a with a similar song to that. So I think that that fits him uh, fits him nicely. I, I would, uh, my vote would be for that, definitely.
0: Well, do you know what the most alarming thing for me is? It's that I now realise that Bob Marley nicked it from the uh, from the Banana Split. <laughs> you see, I never realised yeah. that. Yep. But uh, yeah, but I'm I'm definitely with the oi 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 Hudson Odoy. That needs to be that needs to be done, man. I mean I, I like the song, guys. I love it. It's really good work, but it's too many words, man. Just go with oi oi oi, Doy. Um on other matters in the game last night, I'll tell you something else that I was impressed with. I thought they defended really, really well. Uh you know, I was really impressed with Rudiger and Louise and Aspie seemed to be I think it's interesting, isn't it, how well Aspy's playing. Now he's got, you know, good people in front of him in a sense. You know, he just seems to be... Maybe he's just come through a bad patch of form. Who knows? Uh, but I also thought that Emerson is beginning to look, uh, you know, more like it. I think he's a better defender than Alonso. Alonso's not a left-back in my mind. He's a wing-back. Um, he's clearly got more pace. I mean, the interesting thing is, Joe, is that Alonso was actually injured, literally hamstrung uh, last <laughs> night, I think. But uh, So that that's possibly why Emerson got the nod. But I, I think Emerson should really get the nod as the first choice, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I think we often hear from sorry that he likes Alonso because he's tall. You know, he gives him a bit of kind of aerial clout. But I think it's coming to the point now where I I think what you said is is completely spot on. I I don't think Marcos Alonso is a left back at this level. You know, he he was a great wing back under Conte and I don't think anyone could take that away from him. But the skill sets required to play both positions, although, you know, it it literally is another five metres to the left on the pitch and maybe a bit higher up. are entirely different, you know, when you're expected to to do a lot of one-on-one defending maybe without your, your you know an additional center back in there or or you know one of a, a midfield two kind of covering for you it's a bit more difficult to play that role and I think Emerson has shown you know uh, at least in the past couple of times I've seen him play that he he seems to complement Hazard a bit better he's got a better bit of a better understanding of when to overlap and when to underlap he seems to work well with Loftus-Cheek but I think it's just the fact that he he has some pace and I, I know it's such a a kind of basic thing to say but you know we see Alonso get get beaten for pace from, from pretty average players and I think that's that was kind of the, the beginning of his downfall is you know it's not like it's uh you know Cristiano Ronaldo playing right wing It's his who's tormenting him it's guys whose names I can't remember who play for Huddersfield and stuff like that so you know it, it, it was a little bit kind of maybe foreboding that he was going to get replaced but I, I, I'm completely with you I think Emerson was played really well you know, you know, and I think as well, the the more he plays and the more consistent game time he gets, I think he's going to get better. Um, potentially, you know, he wants to work a little bit on it on his crossing because he seems to get in some really really good positions. You know, end product is is going to be something that hopefully begins to separate him from from Alonso as well. Um, but I think overall, I think he had a very very positive game, and uh, yeah, I think that, that that he probably rightfully deserves to to start from from now until the end of the season.
0: Well, one can hope. Of course, the only thing we don't know about is uh, is what uh, Sarri's planning in terms of uh, rotation. Uh, exactly. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I know he's worried about the fact we're playing lots of games. Well, welcome to the Premier League, sunshine. Um, the only disappointment, really, for me, and I mean, I've seen some other stuff from other people who said that actually they thought he had a decent game, but I'm I'm really I'm not warming to Higuain. I, no, I'm not. You know, look, th- there's no doubt he was a he was a great striker, a world class striker in his day, but I'm afraid that day has gone. He has passed his sell-by date, in my view. And it occurred to me, he's a bit like, he's like another, you know, Shevchenko, in a sense. Although, of course, Shevchenko was buggered by injury, wasn't he, yeah. when he turned up with us? But it's that kind of a thing. We always seem to buy bloody good players three years too late. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to do my head in. But anyway, um, Oli has, has to start, really. Giroud has to start, sure.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, I think, actually... I don't think Higuain is—he's not a bad player. He's just—he's just not fit for Premier League football. You know, yeah. he, he could probably play Serie A for another couple of seasons. But dropping a player in who is is on, let's say, on on the dec- on the decline in terms of his sort of physical abilities into the Premier League is probably not a great great feeling. And it's one of the things that I was, you know, I'm a little bit concerned about sorry sort of tasting players. If he, this was a guy that he was really clamming for in the summer and really clamming for in January to sign. And he's been pretty underwhelming, you know, in terms of sort of the, the overall performance levels. And we're not, not even talking about the goals, just his performance level. I think actually, when you look at Giroud, you know, he, for my money at least, I think the team looks so much more fluid with him up front. And I think we, we always look good with a reference point, you know, even if Giroud isn't scoring. I think that the way he brings players into the game, the way that players have confidence in, in him to, to actually play the ball up to him and know that the ball's going to stick... You know that confidence means that you can you can play five10 you know meters further up the pitch because you're not concerned about you know losing the ball and being countered all the time. So it's not just a you know effect I think that he'll probably score more than Higuari. I think that he has a bit of a mental effect on the players around him as well that the balls going to stick, we can be more aggressive, we can play a little bit more direct, maybe uh, you know be a little bit more aggressive in our positioning. but you know he he has I think proven that, you know this season that the team just look infinitely better, more fluid. Um, that things look a lot, lot more cohesive and balanced when he plays. And I think that he has to, at least, in terms of the big games towards the end of the season, that he should be the number one guy. And maybe Higuain does the, you know, the deputising in the Europa League or, or the games where, where Giroud can potentially rest.
0: Mm. Absolutely right. Uh, but will he do it? This is the thing. Now, now I, I'm going to avoid talking about this because, you know, there's more important things to talk about. But I couldn't resist uh, titling the next bit Danny, Danny Drink-Driving as opposed to Danny drink water, because uh, clearly uh, the young the young man has got himself into a bit of trouble, uh, having a bit of a prang in his car, having been uh, found over the limit. But uh, I'd much rather talk, Joe, to you about um, can we beat Liverpool next weekend? I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll lay my cards on the table. Uh, there's no logic to suggest that we can, let's be really honest. But I, I just have a feeling that they will turn up, you know. <laughs> Chelsea have this uncanny knack of and, and desire to be party poopers and to scupper other people's uh, chances of being uh, the, the you know title winners. They've done it before at Liverpool, of course, and they did it with a you know a, a very weakened side, if I recall. So it's not beyond the realms of possibility. So I'm I'm, I'm bizarrely feeling quite confident and optimistic.
1: You no, know, I think this season that there have been a number of occasions. I think while we've played let's say, like better teams, so Liverpool, City, Tottenham, et cetera. Well, I think in those games where Sari has actually thought about his tactics and thought about his style of play, that we've actually played much better in those games than we have against, you know, the Fulhams and Huddershills, et cetera, where we just sort of do this, you know, plan A, you know, all, all else fails, keep playing plan A tactic. So part of me thinks, you know, going to Liverpool, but if Sari if has something up his sleeve that I actually think, I'm actually quite confident that he will. And I'm actually fairly confident that we can nick... We can nick a win. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think that we'll lose. I think potentially, you know, potentially we'll we'll take a draw up there. But part of me thinks that, you know, if Sari sort of does a, a similar kind of tactical job that he did on City and Spurs that we saw, and also don't forget earlier in the season it, it took a Sturridge absolute wonder goal for them to actually equalise at, at the last minute. So, you know, maybe, maybe just maybe, I think we can go there with a bit more confidence in in the system, confidence in in Sari, and, and maybe the sort of team and style that that he's going to pick. Sort of go and spoil the party and I, I make you completely right. I think Chelsea enjoy even with you know sort of the the changing personalities on the score I think we enjoy being the villains you know we enjoy spoiling the party and what better way to to or you know who better to spoil the party than for Liverpool considering you know they won the league what four months ago it would be great to to put a nail in that coffin um yeah i I'm, I'm actually I'm strangely optimistic and I don't know whether that's a good thing. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, I'm not going overboard about it, mate. To be honest, I mean, because you know, logic tells you that they. I mean, yeah. they're a very, yeah, they're a very, team, yeah. yeah, they're a very good team, and they can really do damage to people. Um, but I just have a feeling that we're we're gonna we're gonna turn up. You know, we know that the fate of the civilized world rests on our shoulders, and uh, I think Chelsea take that seriously. A bit like Tottenham, you couldn't let Tottenham win the league. They knew oh, that. No, 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 no. and it's the same with Liverpool. You just can't let it happen. Um, so I, I am feeling. You know, I'm not shitting a brick, and I normally am, you know, in these kind of situations. <laughs> I'm feeling quite okay about it. I mean, of course, the sad irony is is that I will have to I, – I will be doing my Love Sport radio show between 3 and 7 next Sunday. Ooh. And, of course, what, yeah, while the game is on. So I have to broadcast uh, or present and watch the game at the same time. And I can't, you know – I just can't – I can't not let my emotions, you know – uh stay hidden. I mean so I might get banned from Sunday for swearing if it all goes pear-shaped, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> you know. Uh and live, right on cue, Liverpool have scored. They're one nil up against Porto. Bloody Bad typical. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's hope they get a few injuries. Kate has scored, apparently. Oh well, never mind. Uh okay. Um let, talking to the top four, which we kind of weren't, but we kind of are. And we were a minute ago, because I think Joe Joe and I may, may have changed our minds about whether we can do it. I've kind of, you know, um updated the uh, the run-in again and I actually had a look at it seriously this week Joe and I've kind of thought uh you know of each of the teams in it which is Arsenal, Chelsea, Man U and Tottenham uh which are their tricky matches which they might not win I mean I wouldn't go so far as to say they will lose but they might not win right yeah and, and the interesting thing if you do it like that and if you're really honest about it so, in other words, for once, I've not said Chelsea are going to win all of their remaining games. <laughs> 7-0. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, if you're really honest about it, it's really interesting how that pans out, because technically, going kind of from, from the best place to worst placed, uh, you know, Tottenham, I think, only have two tricky matches, and that would be Man City away, obviously, uh, and quite possibly West Ham at home. And I know that sounds daft, considering we duffed them up last night.
1: So cup final.
0: Yeah, West yeah. Ham and Tottenham, their, their rivalry is even bigger than ours is with West Ham. So is a good chance West Ham might turn up for that. So I, I think that Tottenham have got two, but they've only got two. Whereas uh, us and uh, United, I think, have got three slightly tricky uh, matches. And I think Uniteds are obviously us. We have a chance of winning up there. They've got City at home as well. Again, City, City know that they've got to win every match to win the league. So, they are going to go bulls out to do that. And also, United have got Everton away, and Everton away is quite often a bogey match for them. Yeah. Uh, so, I think that they've got three. I think we've got three, and that's obviously Liverpool away. That's a tough match, even if you and I still think, you know, we're going to, put, you know, piss on their strawberry patch. United away is a tough match. Let's be frank. You know, that's a tough match. And I think quite possibly Leicester away, even though that's the last match of the season. Leicester are on fire at the moment under Brendan Rodgers and they've got a point to prove for him, I think. So that'll be tough. Hopefully for us, Watford will be uh, on the, you know, they'll be thinking about the FA Cup because it's only a week or so before that. And uh, we've got Burnley on Easter Monday, which won't be easy, but I think we're good enough to beat Burnley. Uh, The the, the team with the biggest problem, I think, is Arsenal. Yeah, 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 because they've got Watford away. Uh, which is the next match. So they'll probably still be euphoric about getting into the cup final. Uh, They've got Wolves away, and the Wolves won't be a pushover. Leicester away for the same reasons I said about us. But they've got Burnley away as their last match. Now, you know, either Burnley will have survived and will be on the beach, or they'll be desperately trying to avoid relegation. Let's hope it's the latter, because they're likely to turn up if that happens. But the thing is, Arsenal's away record is, is as abysmal as ours. And they've got four away matches, so you know, looking at it like that, I would say Arsenal are a shoo-in to finish sixth. So really, it's between us and United, I think, as to who finishes fourth. Would you agree with that analysis?
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I actually, looking at this here, I, I think if we get,
0: and we're five points ahead of United, I should yeah. hasten to add, yeah, yeah. I think if we if we get four points, even if we get two
1: points from the Liverpool in the United game as the worst case scenario, I think that we could sneak. Sneaking forth. I mean, I, I think Arsenal will will drop points, you know, in some of these games away from home, just because they've been absolutely dreadful. But you know, don't lose to Liverpool and United. I think actually that is probably going to be the thing that seals it. You know, if we beat United, I think that's it. You know, I think that we'll, we'll get the we'll get the fourth spot. Um, but it, it looks a lot more likely than it did a few weeks ago, which is uh, interesting. It's probably the the closest race for the the top four that we've had in a in a long while. So. Yeah, it could go down to the, the last two games, but I mean, I, I have hopes. If if we beat United, I think we should be in the driving seat. You know, by the time we get to that game, if we've got four points, so we've drawn with Liverpool and beaten Burnley, I think we'd go to United with confidence. And, and if we beat them, then I think that's probably game over.
0: Yeah, I think so too. And I think the the reason being, as I said, I mean, Arsenal are, are, you know, they're technically level with us if they win their game in hand. Um, And Tottenham, you know, have also got a game in hand and they'll go back above us if they win. But, You know, United are five points behind us, so two points if they win their game in hand. So, yeah, we we beat them up there and don't screw up on the others. I think you're right. So there's a good chance in my head that it'll be Tottenham third, us fourth, uh, Arsenal, well, toss-up between Arsenal and United as to who's fifth and sixth. But uh, I'm feeling better about finishing in the top four than I have done recently. But then again, as Paul Crowder points out, we've been horrible away this year, so God only knows. As ever, it'll go right to the wire, won't it, Joe?
1: Yeah, no, I think, yeah, this this probably could go down to the last game, even.
0: Indeed, which will be great, you know, we love that. (laughs) See, I'd I'd rather it was sealed now. I wish we had a 20-point advantage and I don't have to go through this nightmare, but there you go. Right, uh, we've got a few uh, shout-outs and plugs to do. In fact, actually, while we've been been on air, would you believe, uh, Paul Cannibal's texted me. Canners, the wonderful Canners. And I just, in fact, I'm going to tell you now. I mean, I haven't worked out the details yet, but I spoke to Canners the other week, and as you may or may not know, he's got this thing called the Paul Cannival Foundation. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Well, Paul's, you know, set that up. Does lots of really good work in the community and stuff. You know, a lot of his, uh, a lot of his uh, kind of, you know, coaching of young kids, and he's kind of trying to do things to stop knife crime. I mean, you know, Paul's lovely, and he does some great work. Anyway, Paul's... Uh, yeah. I was going to say, I've decided that we're going to make. The Paul Cannavale Foundation, our kind of charity partner, so that I'll, I'll do a lot of work, kind of publicising nice. what can. Yeah, that's what I yeah. thought because he's such a he's such a friend of the show. It's stupid not to. Anyway, he texted me, and he says, "Hi, Chich, hope is all well. Uh, I know we chatted about how the fan fancast could help my foundation." He says, "Can we get hold and listen, people? This is important. Can we get hold of three tickets for the organisation I am volunteering with?" For some of the kids, these children come from severely disadvantaged backgrounds, emotionally abandoned, or in some cases the ones from Grenville Tower, who are still traumatized, others who have never watched a game live, let me know if there are any home games that you could spare some tickets for. A little good goes a long way, and it would be really appreciated. So there you go um If you know of any tickets for any of the matches, Burnley would be a good one we know we know none of you are going to Burnley. So there you go. Donate them to a to a good cause for, for canners. So if you do know of any, honestly, if you do know of any spares going uh, that you could donate to canners, just email me chelseafancast at gmail.com or tweet me or whatever. Just get in touch. You know how to get in touch with me, and I will I will pass that on to canners and I'll get you and canners to kind of sort it out between you. All right. Now On other good causes, another friend of the show, the lovely Gary Wilson, tweeted this to me earlier today. He says, help us again, Chelsea and all football fans. My son is running the London Marathon with Kirsty on his shirt for Children with Cancer, the UK charity. If you can spare whatever for this cause, as he's a bit off his target, retweets welcome from all proper Chels. Uh, Basically, you need to go to virginmoneygiving.com and search for Dale Wilson." Uh, or Supporting Children with Cancer UK, VLM 2019. Now, for those that don't know, uh, Gary's daughter was Kirsty Wilson, who was absolutely delightful and a stunningly beautiful girl, really funny and a massive Chelsea fan. And she very, very sadly died about three years ago uh, of a horrible cancer. She was only about 21, 22. So she was... It was way too soon for her to go uh, and I remember we were quite involved uh, in in spreading that news as it were and, and helping you know she's doing various charity things as well Gary's often in uh, in mixler he may well be in here now if, if you' if you are in here Gary hello but I will retweet that as well so please give if you can uh, and now the usual stuff uh, Chelsea supporters trust of course we've got the survey open at the moment um, it's open until the 22nd of April, which is Easter Monday, and it's open to all Chelsea supporters as well as Trust members. Uh, and, and completing it allows the Trust to continue to operate on a mandate that truly represents your views about the issues regarding the club. Uh, once the survey is closed, the Trust presents the findings to the club and it discusses the issues raised. So your opinions in there and your answers really do help to make a difference, and we can get those issues in front of the club. So if you haven't completed it, it's it's quite easy to find. Just go to chelseasupporterstrust.com, you'll find it there. Follow them on Twitter at Chelsea S Trust. Look at our Twitter timeline uh, because you'll find tweets that we've done there with the link to the survey in it. And it's open to anybody who's a Chelsea supporter, so don't be shy. Go and do it. Uh, and it is surveymonkey.co.uk forward slash r forward slash cst Underscore Survey Nineteen, but as I said, just go and find the link on Facebook, Twitter, or the Trust dot com website. And of course, if you want to be a member, very very easy, uh, it's free. Just go to the website, you can join up online. Uh, but if you do want to have a badge, you want to be able to vote in the elections and attend the meetings, then you need to pay five pounds a year. So go to Trust dot com and do so. Uh, Patreon, uh, many thanks as always to our wonderful wonderful patrons. We've Got a couple of emails coming up from you lot uh, later on. Uh, but if you want to become a Chelsea Fancast patron, it uh, basically just kind of helps us to cover the running costs. Be- believe it or not, these running we're so serious now, the running costs are actually real. You know, it covers subscriptions to stuff that I have to buy in order to do it uh, rather than the pints of Guinness that it used to fund many years ago. Uh, but uh, it's very, very welcome. It's very nice that some of you do choose to do that. Uh, and of course, you know, there are benefits, too. I will communicate with you on there and let you know of uh, exciting news first via that medium. So if you want to become a Chelsea Fancast patron, go to Patreon com forward slash Chelsea. You know, a couple of quid a month, whatever. I mean, there's no pressure. I really don't mind. Whatever you, whatever you feel comfortable with, is fine by me. There's no pressure whatsoever. Uh, And as I said, I'm working on a few ideas at the moment. I'm going to do a big update when I get a moment. I've been very busy. No excuse but very true. Uh, Chelsea Pitch Owners, if you want to own a little bit of Chelsea and protect the future of the club, go and buy a share in the CPO. Of course, they own the freehold of the bridge and uh, they want to make sure that Chelsea always play football there. If you want to buy a share, just email info at chelseapitchowners.com or check out chelseafc.com forward slash fans forward slash Chelsea hyphen pitch hyphen owners or follow them on Twitter at pitchowners. And of course, uh, the latest issue of CFC UK uh, is now out. I know this because I picked up my copy from the stall last night. Great to see so many people at the stall. Uh, in fact, I'm, I, I'm too many to name really, but uh, the usual suspects are all there. Great to see you. Marco was on good form. Uh, so if you want to get a copy of CFC UK, you can obviously buy it on a match day from the stall or from the sellers in the Fulham Road. They also sell it uh, away, so if you see DJ going, up, it's only a pound, you'll know it won't be far away. You can also get it online at cfcuk.net, and if you're in the USA, just tweet at cfcukusa and you can find out how to get it either as a hard copy or digitally over there. Right, now in part three, we're going to look ahead to Thursday's Europa League first leg quarter final against Slavia Prague. And we've got an interview with the uh, Czech journalist Jan Jan Pikos, who writes for the Czech football website Eurofootball.cz, and he knows Slavia Prague inside out. Uh, plus, of course, we've got a few emails coming up later in the show as well. So we will see you soon. G. JK In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chels. FootballFancast.com Right, welcome back. Stanford Chidge here, and uh, I've got the wonderful Joe Tweedy with me, who's on, on cracking form, Joe, I think, tonight. Well done, you.
1: Cheers, mate, and uh, yeah, glad to be on as always.
0: Lovely stuff. All right, now, this Thursday, uh, we've got... Uh, I would say, arguably, one of uh, people's favourite kind of European aways, really. Everybody loves going to Prague. Uh, It's a fantastic city for a huge amount of reasons, not least the fact that they like to drink beer at breakfast time. Uh, They're great, the Czechs. Uh, And, uh, of course, we've been to the Eden uh, Stadium before for a Super Cup final, if you remember. Um, And that's where we're heading on Thursday, when we play Slavia Prague, who is, in some respects, the surprise team of the... uh, Europa League, Um, they beat Sevilla uh, in the last round in in, in extra time, pretty much in the last minute of it. Uh, I mean, most of us, of course, think that uh, it's going to be a bit of a a a walkover, really, Joe, don't they? But I I have a suspicion that whilst we should win, we shouldn't really be taking them lightly.
1: No, I agree. I mean, I think, uh, you know, the the result they had in the last round, I think, should... Should at least hopefully raise a few eyebrows and maybe a few alarm bells at Chelsea that you know this isn't a team that that we can just walk through and and you know turn up and and win. Um, you know I think that overall in in, in the legs they played against Sevilla they were I think probably probably on, on merit the better side you know and obviously maybe uh, some something of a of a surprise package that we're going to play but yeah, you know, I, I think realistically this is a game that I think if we if we focus on and and put the effort in you know I think it's it's something we should win. I mean, we saw in the in the last time with us in particular, you know, we, we kind of put the game out of sight early on and I think that's that's a similar approach that we need to take in this game is to try and actually go out there and kill the tie-off um, and, and let us play, you know, sort of the, the return leg um, in, in slightly more favourable circumstances. You know, you could in, introduce some some of the squad players, you know, and actually give give some of the kind of the, the main guys a rest. But it, I think it will be a tricky game. Um, I don't, I can't remember the, the centre forward's name, but I think they do have a forward who's, who's pretty decent and, and will probably cause us a few issues. Um, but I think, yeah, again, ultimately, if we if we have serious intentions of winning this competition, I think we need to go there and, and actually take control of the of the tie and then and then really set it up for, for the return. It's time for a bridge. So, difficult game, I think. But I think, ultimately, if we, if we focus on it and show the same intent that we have in the competition so far, I think we should win.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree with that. I, I don't think it's a difficult game, actually. I think it shouldn't be a difficult game at all because I think we're much better than them. But I think... Uh, they need to have the right mentality to uh, to not not to kind of quote Sarri's talk about mentality, but I just think they can't be complacent. They can't take it lightly, and they need to go all out and bury them in the first the first leg. Because as we both know, you know, you get a few goals in the away leg, it really does take the heat off in yeah, the home exactly, leg because yeah. you got the yeah you got the away leg uh, the away rules leg. Um, also, I think it might be it might be slightly less hostile than it normally is because I think that they've. They've uh, they've got a part stadium closure because they're yes. a bit naughty. Yeah, they're a bit naughty in previous rounds. So, uh, and of course, the other thing, and you'll find this out when you hear the interview in a minute, is that a lot of uh, a lot of Czechs are are Chelsea fans as well because yeah. of Petr Cech. So it might be a bit like the Malmö game. That's my suspicion. So let's hopefully, hope it is. yeah, yeah. Um, the the real key to it though, Joe, obviously is 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 who Sarri's going to pick. And yeah. of course, you know, he 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 played a lot of the team uh last night that played against uh brighton so that's two games in about four days five days and it, of course we've got liverpool coming up on sunday which is huge so it's going to be interesting isn't it because you know we do want to like put this tie to bed by you know gr- you know grinding them into the ground on thursday but you know we've got to be mindful of the fact we've got liverpool we want our best team out for liverpool don't we
1: Yeah, it's been quite interesting because, you know, a lot of people were saying that, you know, originally our Europa League team were a bit more fun to watch and probably a bit more dynamic than um, Sarri's Premier League team. But now that seems to have flipped where he's kind of integrated a lot of the Europa League players, you know, Emerson, Ruben, Hudson-Odoi and and Giroud a bit more into into sort of the Premier League uh, eleven, And now that Premier League eleven is probably going to become the Europa League eleven, So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I think when you look at the players available to play, I mean, you're probably looking at Barkley and Kovacic starting. I mean, you, I don't know if, if if Ampadu is fit. He seems to have gone missing, but it seems to be a game where you could probably play Ampadu in, in holding midfield if he wanted to to rest Jorginho or rest Kante. You know, there, there are opportunities there. I think for some of the squad players, maybe Pedro and William both start with with Higuar in up front. I mean, it's it's a team that's that's got enough quality to to beat uh, to beat Slavia Prague, even if it is a almost a, a full rotation of, of players before the Liverpool game. But I would say again, you know that the the quality we have available, I think the focus would be on if we can go out there and nick a 1-0 or 2-0. I think that pretty much is is kind of the, the sort of perfect result. We, you know, and it gives us the ability to to keep an eye on the on the Little game. Where I think, you know, probably for at least the the, the players and the fans that, that maybe that is the more important fixture um, sort of in, in this sort of you know, run of games that we have. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see who plays. Well, I, th- I think there are, there are more than enough players Um good players I should say to to actually cause Savier problems with, uh, mm. with with a rotation and, and a lot of rotation at that.
0: Okay, so who who do you see starting then? Um I think probably
1: uh Kepa will probably play in goal. Um I think Emerson will, will continue at left back unless um unless Alonso is fit. I think Christensen will come back into the defence maybe with maybe with Louise. I think probably Zapacosta maybe comes in for Asperta. Um, Jorginho and uh, will probably get rested. I think. I think he'll play. Um, Kovacic. Kovacic there yeah. probably play Barkley and, and maybe Kante plays, um, but maybe someone else will play in that right midfield spot. William and Pedro I think will start, and I think maybe uh, I depend depends who he's going to play on Sunday. I mean, you know, I, I think Giroud probably deserves to start because he's been the main guy in the competition so far. But part of me would prefer to see him play against Liverpool because I think he'll give. He'll give Van Dijk and and, and uh, Matip more problems than than Higuain will, but yeah. you know, it's it's a toss up for, for centre forward.
0: Yeah, it is, isn't it? Um, how how do you see it going?
1: Well, I think if
0: we take it seriously, and
1: I think also the, I think you're right. I think the stadium atmosphere will be a bit strange, and I think that will translate to the Slavia players more than us. I think two 0 would be a would be a very good result.
0: Yeah, I'd settle for that. I think that would be enough. So uh, good stuff. Well, let's hope they do. Now, as I said earlier on, I mean, there's a guy uh, that uh, very luckily got a hold of me called Jan Pikus, who's a, a guy from uh, the Czech Republic who uh, is a big Chelsea fan, as it happens. Uh, listens to the Chelsea fancast. So if you're listening, Jan, hello. Uh, but he's also a football journalist and he writes for a Czech website called Euro Football and. Uh, he uh, very kindly agreed to be interviewed by me and tell me and you lot, of course, all about Slavia Prague and uh, how it might go down on Thursday night and a little bit of the history of the place and who to watch out for. So fascinating interview with him. Very long, but very well worth listening to. Right, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome to the Chelsea fan cast Jan, Jan Pikus, who uh, writes for Aero Football, which is a... It's obviously a football website covering Czech football, uh, and uh, he mainly covers Slavia Prague. So there's nobody better to talk to about the match that's coming up on Thursday. Jan, lovely to speak to you. How are you?
2: <laughs> Hi, I'm fine, thanks.
0: Excellent stuff, no doubt. Looking forward to Thursday's match, as we are. Um, can you, I mean, can you give me a little bit of the history of Slavia Prague? You know, a lot of uh, a lot of Chelsea fans won't really know who they are. So, what are they all about?
2: Well it's one of the oldest uh, Czech clubs uh, the football division of the club uh, was founded in late uh, 1890s and as with uh, Sparta Prague these are two most successful and most popular Czech teams you know battling for the title in the Czech league for for many years there's a great rival rivalry between between these 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 teams and uh, it's probably the second most popular uh, club in the country you know sparta is the first uh, i think they've got more fans uh, I, f- I think uh, in global but but slavia is the second
0: slavia mm. is slavia prague oh sorry sparta is where paderecek came from originally isn't it mhm mhm yes yes yeah i thought so i mean that's probably obviously we we've, we've heard of both sparta and slavia so and i mean you know what's the what's the strength of Czech football at the moment because i mean i remember i'm i'm old enough to remember you know the seventies, certainly when uh, you know Czech well Czechoslovakian football, as it was then, was was amongst the best in Europe. So, but their club sides have never really, you know, translated that into success, whereas the the national team was always quite strong. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, the situation is quite different than it was in nineteen seventies. You know, uh, Dukla Prague, which was one of the best teams in Europe, I would say. In these times now. They fight just for for their uh, staying in the first tier, you know. Yeah, and probably the relegation is, is quite probable for them. So these times are uh, changed, uh, are different. But you know, you probably uh, could see this in this season in Champions League group stage, uh, Appelzeg, uh, which is probably the probably the best Czech club uh, nowadays. Uh, they played in in Champions League group stage uh, three times in the last, I think, six or seven years. Uh, Sparta Prague, uh, they made uh, the latest uh, European success, I would say, in Europa League for for Czech football, because they played a quarter-final at Slavia this season uh, three years ago. But nowadays, they don't play uh, very well in Czech League, but maybe they will be better. And Slavia uh, now is probably now in this moment the uh, strongest Czech team because they play in great shape, you know. Uh, they, lead, uh, they lead the Czech league and they play wonderful football. And it's, it's difficult to say uh, how strong Czech club football is, you know, because it's kind of it's individual. Uh, Viktoria Plzeň uh, played in the group stage uh, uh, this season they, they got seven points from the group with uh, Roma and Real Madrid, you know, which is, I think, a great, great result. And they even uh, beat uh, Roma at home in December. But then uh, in the playoffs, you know, they played against Dinamo Zagreb from Croatia and their performance was really terrible, you know. Mm. So I think that there's a potential in Czech teams, which uh, Slavia showed against Sevilla and, yeah. and against Hain. But sometimes they really d- don't play well. But there's a potential, you know. But it's more like uh, if if they uh, if they have a good day, you know, and the, the good mentality and attitude, I think uh, Czech teams can beat uh, even stronger, stronger sides. As mm. Slavia showed uh, against against uh, Spaniards. But of course, uh, the cl- the clubs aren't, you know. Every year, every year, contenders in in Champions League, you yeah. know. So yeah. Czech football isn't as strong as it was maybe uh, 15 years ago. You know when the national team uh, got the bronze medal at uh, European Championship in uh, 2004. And uh, you probably you probably noticed that uh, England played against Czech national team like two weeks ago yeah. in Wembley, yeah. and it was really terrible scary performance by Czech national team. So, for unfortunately, uh, these times aren't so, so light for Czech football.
0: Well, there we go. I mean, I, I so there's quite I I forgot actually about Dukla Prague. How can we forget Dukla Prague as the half man half man half biscuit yeah, yeah, song. Yeah, yeah. All exactly, I want exactly. for Christ all I want for Christmas is a Dukla Prague awake really it. Is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, a lot of English people know about Dukla Prague because of that bizarrely, but uh, uh-huh. I think Chelsea played Victoria Pilsen, didn't they? Uh, in the early early kind of 2000s. I seem to remember that. Uh, possibly in a, in a Champions League or UEFA Cup round? Uh, uh, no, no, no. Chelsea played against Sparta Prague, I think, four years ago. We certainly played against Sparta. I'm sure we've played against Pilsen. Uh, I'll, I'll check it while we're talking, but there you go. So, I mean, you know, are there any kind of famous Slavia Prague players that Chelsea fans might have heard of?
2: Well, the first name to mention is definitely uh, Miroslav Stoch.
0: Of course, Because yeah. he's,
2: a, he's a former Chelsea player and... Uh, his his story is kind of is kind of interesting you know because everybody knows that uh, he's a great footballer but he definitely uh, didn't achieve as much as he could uh, because his talent was really was really enormous but maybe his mentality uh, wasn't always you know the right for professional footballer but now when he play, uh, now in Prague uh, he plays really well he enjoys uh, enjoys football you know uh, he doesn't do any any conflicts or any any bad things uh, like maybe before in some previous uh, previous uh, clubs uh, he plays really well and he maybe could calm down a little bit and he can be a threat for Chelsea but I think you know the way of uh, the way Slavia will play would really be different uh, than in Czech league you know in Czech league uh, when Slavia plays against uh, nearly any opponent maybe except Sparta and Pilsen it's like Chelsea when they play against Fulham you know yeah. the opponent side is re- really weaker and Slavia uh, Place on possession, you know, for 90 minutes, and uh, these are the these are the matches for players as as stock, you know. But against Chelsea, it will be more about uh, counter attacks, you know, and about uh, running without the ball and Stoch, you know. Is a he's a technical pl- skilled player, so I think he wouldn't be the main uh, weapon, uh, main Slavia weapon for. for for Chelsea, but he, hes definitely the most famous one because of uh, his Chelsea history.
0: Mm. Yeah, most will most of us will remember him actually, and uh, we're, we're aware of that. I mean, what, what's uh, Slavia's current form at the moment?
2: Well, I think it cannot be better, you know, because they are—I don't know—twenty-five, no, twenty-seven matches uh, played in Czech League. Slavia won uh, twenty-two of them. They lost just, I think, three matches and now in the second part of the season they play really well. Uh, in most matches uh, they scored more than two goals. They play uh, brilliant football. They really enjoy themselves. And the big uh, weapon of this team is that they are, you know, 20 great players who really can replace each other in any moment. And even in, in some matches when I would say a weaker, weaker squad is on the pitch. They really can play like they will win 4-0, four four you know. So I really think the team is very strong and now they play in a good shape. And they're definitely coming for, for the domestic title. And they're also in a uh, domestic cup uh, semifinal. And of course, uh, Europa, Europa League, it's something like a bonus for Slavia, you know, because they already achieved what they uh, wanted to achieve, and now it's it's just a fairy tale for them. And uh, a game, a double game against Chelsea is just it it's just a dream for most of the players and maybe more, most of the people, you know, uh, who are supporting uh, who support the club. So I think that the the mood in the club and uh, around the club cannot be better in the moment mm. which can be a small problem for Chelsea
0: why wow, yeah I mean you know it's interesting isn't it because uh most uh, most commentators and I suspect Chelsea supporters think this is going to be easy but uh, they are never easy by the way I figured out it wasn't Victoria Pilsen we played we played Victoria Zizkov in uh, <laughs> in, the, in the in 1994 in the Cup Winners Cup uh they're another Prague team how many Prague teams are there
2: uh, well, there are four teams in the first tier. Yeah. It's Sparta and Slavia, uh, uh, Dukla Prague, as I mentioned, yeah. and and Bohemians, uh, yeah. uh, the ones with uh, kangaroo in their in their <laughs> symbol, I would say. Uh, Viktoria Žižkov unfortunately, uh, plays in the second tier, and they don't play really well. You know, uh, there were some maybe financial problems in, look, in the club, and. I, as a kid, uh, saw Viktoria Žižkov playing against Glasgow Rangers, you know, oh, they d- defeated uh, Glasgow Rangers when Sean Connery was in Prague to see, to attend the match, <laughs> to see the match and, and uh, it was like, I think, uh, 2002 and they were like top of the Czech league, you know, they nearly won the title in that year, but now mm, they, are, they have uh, different problems, which is, which is a pity, but uh, as I said, there are four teams from Prague. Uh, uh, in, in, in the first year. And, and Slavia and Sparta are definitely the, the strongest.
0: Mm. Now, uh, talking about form uh, and the Europa League this year, uh, I mean, it's true to say, I think, that Slavia pulled off quite a surprise by beating Sevilla in the in the round of 16, which was a quite an incredible uh, second leg, wasn't it? Because it was two all. Mm-hmm. Uh, you drew two all uh, in Sevilla and then uh, won 4-3 in extra time. Uh, but it was quite a shock, because Sevilla, you know, are, are quite highly regarded as a team. And I, I remember the scenes. I mean, it was quite mental, wasn't it? I think uh, mm-hmm. the, the fans just loved it, obviously.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the last seconds of the match were really, really incredible. And, you know, the uh, the whole the whole battle with Sevilla, uh, counting the first game, was kind of shocking, you know. Because the first game in, in, in Spain, Sevilla could win, like, 5-0 and nobody would be surprised mm. because they really have many chances and the goals uh, Slavia scored were kind of funny, you know. The second one by Alex Kral, which is the guy uh, who looks like uh, David Luiz. It would be quite funny if they meet each other on the pitch because their hair is kind of similar. Uh, he, didn't, uh, he didn't really know he scored the goal because he scored it uh, in the box uh, by his shoulder, you know. And he didn't even know about it, you know, he was probably the, the only one guy uh, who didn't uh, know what happened and it kind of, uh, it was kind of similar to the famous uh, John Travolta Pulp Fiction you know, <laughs> GIF, you know, and it, it was, it was a funny, it was a funny thing, but the result from the first game was, was great for Slavia. But it was still like Sevilla are great favorites because everybody knows that the football quality is on their side, you know. Mm. Because of course, Slavia uh, could uh, play against them with some, with some good system, with some good strategy, with uh, uh, with running all the time. Uh, that was that was a, a thing that some Sevilla fan brought to some discussion. After the first game, uh, what the, uh, like, uh, what's the like? Re- what's the release clause of the Slavia physical coach? You know, mm, <laughs> because that was the thing that people, you know, imp- were impressed by uh, how physically great uh, Slavia is. Mm. And the second, the second, like it was just, it was just incredible, you know. Uh, Slavia were lucky in some moments, but uh, the result and. The fact that they they defeat such a team as Sevilla uh, is re- it's a, it's a really one of the I think most incredible moments in the modern history of the club, yeah. you know, because Sevilla is was definitely one of the favorites of the of the of the of, of the competition. So yeah. it was a shock, and if you saw the highlights of the game, you know, uh, you could see that it was really special for for Prague side.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a big scalp uh, getting severe. So, I mean, you know, looking towards uh, Thursday's match, I mean, who, who should Chelsea be looking out for? Who, who's a threat to Chelsea, do you think?
2: Uh, yes, and that's uh, something uh, I would, I would kind of continue in the way I spoke before. Uh, because of the, of the difference between these two teams, I wouldn't say that the Slavia skilled players are the biggest threat for Chelsea. But more like these active players, runners, you know, uh, footballers who play aggressively mm. and can make uh, Chelsea players feel comfortable. Mm. And I would, you, I would give you an example. Uh, there's a Slavia player called uh, Josef Husbauer uh, He's a central midfielder. And in the domestic tier, uh, he's a great player, you know, because he's a great passer. He's a great playmaker. Uh, he can create many chances. He can score goals from um, uh, big distances, and he's great in domestic league against uh, weaker opponents, you know. But he doesn't play very well in Europa League because he's not very quick, you know. He's not very active, I would say, in, in, in pressing and so on. So he's the player who plays uh, nearly every game in domestic league, but he doesn't play very much in Europa League. And that's the difference, uh, and it's quite natural, uh, in Slavia playing in Europa League and in, in domestic league. So I would say biggest threat uh, for Chelsea uh, can be, or not, not, not biggest threat like offensively, but maybe uh, the biggest problem can be, for example, Ibrahima Traore which is a cent- center midfielder who plays uh, really aggressively. Uh, he can run for the whole 90 minutes. And I think that, uh, for example, we all know that uh, Jorginho uh, sometimes has problem in premiership when, when they press him uh, really hard and they play uh, personally against him mm. and he doesn't have much time, you know, for for his register role, for uh, making the passes and so on. And if Traore can really be annoying for him for 90 minutes, uh, he can get annoyed easily and it can be a problem for Chelsea build-up play. That's, mm. that's one player. The another player is Lukasz Masopust, uh, which is uh, naturally a uh, right winger, but in these types of matches he plays, uh, he plays as a centre-forward but he's definitely not a typical striker he's not a poacher but he he great he greatly uh, he greatly uh, fulfills you know the role of a striker in the in the match when you don't play on the ball very much you know so he's he runs uh, all the time and i think he can uh, he can distract uh, louis christensen ridiger or whoever uh, will be playing on the center back uh, very often you know and he can kind of he can kind of uh, be destroying uh, Chelsea, trying for some build-up play. You know, right. so I think these are two players uh, who can be. I wouldn't say a, th- a threat, you know, because the quality of the Slavia team isn't so a- as high, of course. But they can be. They can be annoying for for mm-hmm. Chelsea, and it can be a problem for Chelsea to to create uh, some stuff because of
0: them. Yeah, I mean then then basically they're not I mean you know qualitatively Chelsea are a better side but uh, they Of, should, course, yeah, of course. but they shouldn't be taken lightly. That's that's basically what the message I get from that. Um the other thing that's occurred to me of course, I mean you probably know this Jan but uh, on Chelsea's website last week they uh, they mistakenly called Slavia Prague <laughs> yeah. Sparta Prague. I'm just wondering how much extra motivation that might have given Slavia.
2: Uh well, I think this is... Something that maybe uh, made uh, uh, some Slavia fans and supporters angry, which is kind of kind of natural uh, because you know the rivalry between these two sides are quite enormous. But I think for the for the players and for the for for the for the team staff, it's not really important. You know, uh, they're they're really uh, excited for the game, and you know this is a. Uh, I couldn't say this is a bonus game for Slavia because uh, Sevilla was a bonus game for Slavia in Europa League. Mm. This is like a bonus plus game yeah. for them. You know, they really cannot lose anything because you know they overachieved their goals in Europa in Europe this season, like for 300%. But on the other side, Chelsea can lose nearly everything. Yeah. You know, because. I I think uh, we will agree on that that it would be a great uh, big shame for Chelsea to be eliminated with an unknown Prague team you know and I think Slavia they, they didn't need any extra motivation because the biggest motivation for for Slavia players would be play against such a club as as Chelsea is and I think this what you mentioned is just like a funny funny thing from from social media of course Sparta Prague uh, uh, made made some reaction for it uh, I think I think they they, they wrote something like uh, well it's it's naturally you're mistaken because we are the most famous club in the in the Czech Republic but unfortunately you play against Slavia of course some Slavia fans were angry like you you are not we are the most successful and these these are the things you probably know from from English league you know yeah. so that the fans are uh, are um, arguing with each other, but I think for the players, it's. I don't really think they are angry because of that.
0: <laughs> okay, um, I mean, actually, I remember that. I remember when the draw was made. Actually, that the Slavia uh, management team and the players, you know, they seem to be really, really excited to, to uh-huh. draw Chelsea. Uh, why was that?
2: Well, that was that was definitely a very funny funny one because. I saw the, uh, the there was a video I think made by Michel Ngade uh, from Slavia Squad and and I saw some reactions of Chelsea fans on Twitter you know and they were like what the hell is that yeah. are we are are we as weak nowadays that <laughs> even some unknown Prague side yeah. you know is looking forward to 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 play us you know but no 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 they were just super excited you mm-hmm. know because for Slavia this season is it's it's really a fairy tale, you yeah. know. Uh, Slavia w- was playing uh, in the in the group stage of a European Cup uh, for the second time in a row. But last season it was like uh, after a decade, you know, because mm. Slavia didn't have a good football period like five years ago. They nearly uh, get relegated from the from the first tier, you know, in Czech league, like uh, into 2014. So they're still like an unknown team uh, in Europe, you know, and they're still achieving some some experience, you know, and pl- playing against such such sides as Sevilla is or Chelsea is. It's it's a dream for most of the players, you know, and it's 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 it was really not it was really not, uh, it was really not uh, I think fault like. Oh, we are looking to play against Chelsea because it would be easy. Definitely, it's not. But it's it was just a, a sign of excitement because even before when when Hank uh, was was drawn to Slavia and then Sevilla was drawn to Slavia, most of the players and even coach uh, Terpishovski said that he would like to play against English team, you know. And before the quarterfinal draw, uh, I think uh, he or some player, I don't know. Uh, said something like, OK, so uh, there are two teams, uh, two English teams, you know, in the draw. So I I hope that uh, we definitely will get one of them, Chelsea or Arsenal, you know. So it was just a sign of excitement right. because Chelsea uh, is a very popular club here in the country, of course, because of Petr Cech, you know, mm. who is really a legend of, of Czech football, of Czech modern football, and... It, it was just a sign of uh, great joy.
0: Well, I mean, I, I know, I know, uh, there's the a Czech uh, Chelsea supporters group, so I know that the Czechs have had a big affinity with Chelsea mm-hmm. over the years. I mean, you know, they. I mean, what would it mean to Slavia if they beat Chelsea, and and, and do they do they actually believe that they can? Uh,
2: well, in football, everything's possible. Uh, this is something that the last uh, seconds of the Sevilla, uh, second like. Uh, showed us you know but of course Chelsea are uh, great uh, great contenders you know for winning the winning the the battle and it's like maybe 1% uh, chance that Slavia will go through but it's possible of course that's football that's that's wonderful about about the game but uh, i think that everybody knows that Chelsea are really Quite, uh, it's it's quite uh, sure, quite clear that they will go go through. But if Slavia would beat Chelsea, uh, it would. I w- I would say I didn't think think about it before, but maybe it was. It will be the one of the greatest moments, you know, in the in the history. You know, mm-hmm. it would be a repeating of uh, nineteen ninety six season when Slavia got to semifinal again uh, of UEFA uh, U- Cup. You know, and I think this would be even more because uh, Chelsea, even nowadays, the team isn't as strong as it was in Lampard and Terry and Drogba times. You know, it's still it's still Chelsea. Uh, I think they, we cannot fi- we cannot find uh, um, clubs uh, or, or many clubs which would be more attractive for Czech fan than Chelsea, you know, uh, because Real Madrid was there uh, in autumn uh, in in Pl- in Plzernian Champions League group stage, and I think that fans weren't so impressed by the fact that uh, such a team will be uh, playing here, uh, like like now when when Chelsea was there, you know, mm-hmm. the battle for the tickets, you know, and uh, the attraction of the match was was quite in- enormous when the drone was made. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, it would be if if Slavia would uh, beat Chelsea, it would be, I think, one of the maybe the best results of, of Czech modern football history.
0: That's interesting. So, you know, they, they, there's a sense that they quite like Chelsea. I mean, you know, what do they admire about Chelsea and what what perhaps do they not like about Chelsea? The fans mainly, I think.
1: Well,
2: I think uh, the the club uh, has a lot of supporters, you know, mm. um, here. <laughs> uh, of course, uh, funny thing is that uh, some Slavia fans are also fans um, of Chelsea, right. so maybe it's a uh, maybe it's a kind of kind of controversial game in mm. this uh, in this meaning for them. Uh, but uh, you know, these are diff- different type of, uh, of fans. You know, you have some hardcore Slavia fans who even uh, how to say uh, hate uh, hate uh, people who or not hate but maybe uh, don't like people who uh support some foreign foreign clubs you know yeah because in Czech Republic as in uh, any other country uh, these are people who most uh, support uh, mostly the, the local clubs and and some who have some favorites you know in in the, in the top uh, top leagues and some people just don't understand and and, and don't li- don't like such a, such a behavior so there are some slavia fans, uh, and their reaction was like I don't care about Chelsea because I support Slavia you know, yeah. you know that we will beat them five five to nil, you know but uh, some of the some of the general fans who like English football I think that uh, they definitely uh, they definitely like it especially because of Czech I think uh, he made a really strong, strong tie uh, for some fans uh, to the team and nowadays i think uh, fans know that uh, the situation in chelsea uh, isn't as slight as, as it was like in previous years uh, so i think maybe they maybe they like the fact they play against chelsea net or not not against i don't know manchester city or liverpool nowadays right but they still know that uh, how strong the team is and uh, I I think it's 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 difficult to say like what they like about the team. I can't say what I personally like about the team, but I don't What well, what do what do, you,
0: what do you like about it, yeah? Uh
2: well, I think uh, I think the team uh, has some really great uh, young players uh, that's just a pity that uh Sarri doesn't play them yeah. as much as I would like and I think most of the Chelsea fans would like I would really love to see uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi to mm. play uh, in, in in Eden, uh, which which is which is another funny thing that the name and the nickname of yeah. the Slavia Stadium is Eden. You know, so some fans already recorded it to Eden Hazard Arena.
0: <laughs> well, so why, why is it called the Eden Stadium? It's nothing to do with Eden Hazard, obviously, but we like to of, think of, it of is. But
2: why why is it called Eden? I think it's just the it's just the type, you know. You know, the stadium is in Vršovice, which is uh, which is one of the districts in Prague, and I think that just Eden uh, was. It's I think, and I'm not sure because I'm not from Prague, you know, originally. But I think it's not just the name of the stadium, but is the name of the of the part of the district, right. you know. Okay. So, because I know that also the elementary school here is called Eden you know and uh, the hockey stadium here is called Eden. so it's just uh, the local name I would say
0: okay fair uh, enough but
2: back to the, back, back to the Hudson although I would really love to see see him on the page on first day yeah because I think that uh, this is a game for him you know mm. if sorry if sorry thinks that he cannot play 90 minutes uh, against uh, stronger opponents, uh, this is a great game for him because, on the on the as as a first reason, Slavia isn't such a strong opponent. You know, it's a still an unknown Prague team, and Chelsea definitely should beat them. Mm-hmm. But on the other side, it's not a friendly match. You know, it's an important game because uh, Europa League is kind of. Maybe in the moment, I would say it's more important for Chelsea than, than Premiership, you know, because I think it's kind of the easiest way how to get uh, the Champions League spot for the next season. Because the battle for the fourth uh, for for the spot in, in the league would be quite hard. But in Europa League, it's just about beating Slavia, beating Benfica or I don't know who in semifinal and maybe beating uh, Arsenal or whoever will be there in Baku in the final in May. And you're there, you know. So yeah. it's kind of shorter and easier way how to get to Champions League exactly. season than in the Premiership. So I think that it's a kind of important game for Chelsea, and I think it could be a great game for yeah. for Hudson Odoi to show what he what he what he can do. Uh, uh, and that's the same with Ruben Loftus-Cheek, which is a great skilled player, and I, he can he really can. Be I wouldn't say the next Lampard, you know, because Lampard was one and only. But he can play as a more offensive central midfielder uh, in the in the in the free uh, free player uh, midfield uh, midfield in Chelsea. And if he will be not uh, as injured as he is nowadays, he could be a brilliant pl- player. Uh, the same Andreas Christensen is one of the players that I like very much. I remember him. From Gladbach, when he re- really impressed me, and I still think he's a great uh, centre-back, even if his performances aren't as great as uh, Chelsea fans would like w- would like to be. But uh, I still think he's a great. He's got a great potential. I really really like uh, how Chelsea uh, solved the situation with the goalkeeper, you know, because I don't really, I didn't really like Courtois for his behaviour. And uh, Kepa, I think it's it's a great uh, it's a great guy, uh, and he can be he can be uh, number one in Chelsea Chelsea goal for next decade. Yeah. as Czech was, and I don't really care about some incident, you know, in the League Cup yeah. final. I think it was just a big uh, big misunderstanding and something just that uh, social media and media generally uh, would uh, uh, like to. Like to you know write about, but I don't really care about it. I think it's a great young goalie, and everybody makes mistakes. So I think the the team is full of great young players, and it's just about Sari or whoever will come after him uh, to give him give him the role. Because I really think that uh, the team has potential for for playing uh, their own uh, youth players, yeah. and they don't have to buy you know any anyone for. 400 million
0: Exactly, yeah. It's an interesting time. Now, look, finally, just to wrap this up, uh, you know, I mean, actually, I noticed that, uh, uh, I don't know if this is still uh, being, uh, you know, applied, but uh, Slavia, uh, Prague were hit by some UEFA sanctions, weren't they? Because apparently, uh, when you played against Genk, there were lots of fireworks going off, Mm. objects being thrown, a few more crowd disturbances. Uh, So there'll be a, is is it true that there's still going to be a partial stadium closure? And, and that's going to be a lot of your hardcore fans.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. The situation uh, with fans is kind of problematic for the whole season, or mm. with UEFA, you know, because when Slavia played against Dynamo Kiev, uh, Ukrainian side, in, and uh, I would say what it was, you know, it was it, it it was the it was the round for getting to to Champions yeah. League. I think the first first round. Uh, there were some 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 conflicts. Even even the, the chairman of Slavia uh, wrote some something on Twitter that uh, it wasn't very fair, you know, the the way how the referee uh, referee uh, acted in, in the match. And uh, now against kank I think there were some objects on the pitch. I don't know, so, but UEFA uh, made this decision and. I, if uh, my information is correct, I think some sectors, some parts of the north stand, which is the stand when the uh, hardcore fans of Slavia are um, situated, will be closed. Mm. So I don't know if it's about I don't know, maybe two two thousand of tickets, or yeah. I, I don't know. So so the, the stadium wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be like uh, full but i think it wouldn't of, of, of course it's a shame and it's 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 a, or it's a pity and uh, it's not very pleasant for the people who had their tickets there you know but i think uh, for the atmosphere it it wouldn't be such a problem because i think that uh, the slavia fans can make great atmosphere yeah. in whatever amount of them, so... Yeah, I would... they'll be
0: well up for it, I expect. And, uh, I mean, you know, Prague's a fantastic city and it's a great, mm-hmm. great away trip. I know a lot of people are really looking forward to going from Chelsea. Um, I mean, you know, it will be a great atmosphere, but will they get a warm welcome or will it be quite hostile?
2: Uh, well, it's... You know, this is this is kind of... I think it's kind of individual, you know. Mm. Uh, these are some fans who... Are happy that they could see such a team as Chelsea in Prague. Uh, these are uh, and so, some people who just uh, care about their club and don't, don't really care about the others. And that's the same like with the fans, you know. I really think that uh, a lot of Slavia fans uh, would love to, would like to uh, uh, have a beer with some Chelsea fans, you know, and some of them maybe. Will not, you know. we we'll, <laughs> well, we'll
0: them. Same we'll as say everywhere. Them. Yeah, I get that. So,
2: so, something unpleasant, but so I, I would not. You have to, you have to realize that uh, the game will be sold out. There will be some empty sectors, but there still will be like I don't know, seven, 17 or eighteen thousands of people. And yeah. Slavia has uh, many, many fans in the republic. And I would not like to generalize, oh, you know, no, no. because. Same, same wherever system. you
0: go, Jan. Yeah, it's the same wherever yeah, yeah. you go. I and mean, one thing I can say is that, uh, uh, you know, if you like your if you like your beer, then Prague is a great place to go. And I know the Czechs love their beer, so uh, you'll have. Yeah, a, yeah, beer, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. And I would say I would say that it's really a great city uh, for for coming. You know, because in it's in the heart of Europe, and all of the all of the uh, architecture stuff you can meet in the city center. It's just great and even even the stadium is great because it's, it's modern, you know. Uh, it was built like uh, before a decade, I think, and it's definitely the most beautiful stadium and pitch uh, in, in the Republic. So Czech national team, all of the all of the important games play, plays there, you know. And also there's a, there will be a, or there is kind of new grass because just after a Sevilla game, uh, the new grass was installed, I would say, in Adam. So I think that, that the thing that could be, be maybe uh, some advantage for technical Chelsea players, you yeah. know, because the grass will be in a great great condition. And-
0: better, better than Kiev, that's for sure. All right, yeah, <laughs> we're going to wrap this up. But uh, very quickly, um, what would be a good result for Slavia on Thursday? Well...
2: I think uh, I would say it in two two ways in one way when we speak about some chances for for going through it would be maybe a draw maybe maybe a goalless draw would be a good good result for Slavia but in the more probable and more general way a good result like for the club would be to not to lose by a big margin you know mm. so if would if if chelsea would would uh, win like two two to nil i think it would be okay for Slavia for slavia fans you know because uh, we have to say that even everything is possible the quality is definitely on chelsea side yeah. and even if slavia can uh, play there for I don't know 85 minutes, you know, and they can they can hold the goal as draw. It's still about one uh, one successful and nice action made by Azard or Willian or Hudson Odoi or, or Pedro, I don't know, and he will dance with three Slavia defenders and and score a goal and mm. it's done, you know, because yeah. the qual- the individual quality is really is really different. Excellent, well. But, uh,
0: I, I, like you, i am looking forward to it. Sadly, I won't be there, and I know you will. So enjoy, mm-hmm. enjoy the evening on Thursday. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, we will hopefully speak to you again on Friday on the uh-huh. Love Sport edition of the show, and we can hear from you how it all went down. Um, and, of course, the final thing, Jan, is thank you very much for listening to the Chelsea fancast. I know you told me before we, uh, we started the interview yeah. that you, you've been listening to it for a long time. So thank you. That's much appreciated. Jan, yeah, yeah. thank you so much. Enjoy the game on Thursday. We'll speak to you again on Friday. So there you go, brilliant stuff from Jan there. Now, uh, as you may have heard me say in there, we're going to get Jan on the line for the Love Sport show on Friday uh, to talk to us about the game, which, of course, would have been on the night before because he's going to be there, unlike me, I'm very annoyed to say because I tell you what, if there's one away trip I'd love to do, it would be Prague, but there you go. So look out for Jan talking to us about the game on Friday. Now, after the break, uh, it's email time and there are loads... Loads this week, but thankfully they're not too long, so we're going to whiz through that very soon. See you in a sec. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea Football All right, welcome back. It's Stanford Chich here, and you're listening to the Chelsea Fancast, of course. Uh, a slightly reduced version tonight. Uh, I'd have to say a highly intelligent version because I've got Joe Tweedy with me. Joe, it's been brilliant fun with having you on the show. Yes, yeah, good it's been to great. see you as ever. Yeah, good stuff. Well, we're in the home straight now, so panic not. You can go back to what. Oh, my God. Liverpool have scored again. Oh, my God. So who scored this time. Firmino. Brilliant. We knew it was going to be a buy, didn't we? We all knew it was going to be a buy. Let's hope, they, yeah, let's hope they get somebody really horrible in the next round. All right, enough of that. Let's read the emails, take my mind off it. Um, right, this uh, is one that was held over from last week. Uh, by the way, I'm, I've held a few over, actually, because some of them are kind of quite generic, and I can read them out in a week when we don't get many. So apologies to Bud Zola and Russell and, and, and Alan Smith, I think. Uh, I'll hold your emails over because they're... You know they can be read out at any time, whereas this week we got quite a few that relate to uh, what's going on right now. But this one isn't. This one's quite generic, uh, and it's from Barrett Ruin or Rouen. And this is my email of the week. He says, "Dear Chidge and the gang, uh, firstly, uh, I just wanted to say I'm a long time listener. Thank you for what you do, and up the chelsea up the chels to you, Baron." He said, "I've always thought to write into the show, but I've always managed to talk myself out of it until this week when I found the segment on why we support Chelsea rather touching." And as several of you mentioned, particularly this season, one can be forced to wonder. Yeah, a few weeks ago, uh, I decided that we've been a bit like uh, the Monty Python sketch, Joe, where, where they stop the sketch. This sketch is getting too silly. Remember that? Whereas, yeah, well, I, that, there, was, there was a bit of a fan cast moment where I said, I'm sorry, but this fan cast is just getting too negative. So we need to be positive. So we basically had a bit of a delve into, you know, why we love Chelsea and how we found it. And people loved it. They absolutely loved it. Jonathan went on for about an hour talking on his own about everybody he'd ever yep. seen at Chelsea. And uh, and I was getting like, for God's sake, shut up. But people were saying they could have listened to him all night. So I'm going to get my own back. And I'm going to record a four-hour special with Jonathan in the summer where he just talks and talks and talks. And then you'll be sorry, all right? <laughs> anyway, no, I'm only joking. It was fantastic listening to him. Anyway, Bar- reading on. Baron says, for me, it's home. I found myself over the years wishing I could somehow not support us. But it's too much of a matter of heart for me at this point to give up. I believe it was Jonathan who said that it was like a drug, and it certainly isn't. I think it was me who said it was like a drug baron, but I'm not counting. Uh, I moved from New York to London with my family and settled in the area. Having been a quiet child, I remember my first match. It was Chelsea versus Southampton at the bridge, and we lost. But it was the feeling of walking around the corner and suddenly seeing all the blue shirts and walking through West Brompton together that hooked me. The match that followed was a 2-4 loss to Southampton. where Je- I was at that match where James Beattie scored, and I remember thinking... Wow, these guys need help. Though oddly, because Abramovich uh, was brought in soon after, my childish prayers were answered. It's been a part of me ever since. Sorry, it's been a part of me ever since, though, No, no, I'll get this right. No no comma. That was what tricked me. I know how Jonathan feels now. Uh, It's been a part of me ever since. Though made much easier by Abramovich's arrival, it never mattered much to me. I was in all the same. Everybody I went to school with was a United or an Arsenal supporter, and that certainly would have been easier, but it felt like I was home. And these were my people, finally. I now write a weekly column on the club called Tactics and Transfers for the Pride of London website and follow with the same heartfelt ups and downs as I did when I was a child. Great website, uh, Bar- uh, Baron. I didn't realise that. Um, we'll have to talk to you more, I think. Sorry, it's Barrett, isn't it? I keep calling you I'm Sorry, mate, I'm going a bit senile. Barrett, I, that's brilliant that you write for them. I'm, sh- I've, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of half aware of, of that fact. But uh, anyway, I move on. Uh, so follow with the same heartfelt ups and downs as I did when I was a child. That brings me to, to why this year has been so downright tragic. I always felt the wonderful thing about Chelsea supporters was that we had a slightly dark and yet comedic brotherhood, particularly with the topsy turvy nature of Ken Bates' reign. Sadly, that seems broken at the moment. I've never seen the club so divided, and that's the true tragedy of this season, more than the terrible football and the embarrassment of still paying players to talk about other clubs or plans other than with us. We shouldn't be acting as desperate as we seem to have allowed ourselves to become. If you're here, be here. Be all the way in or get out of the club, full stop. I'm sure this was much too long, but just wanted to say thanks for what you do. And there are many of us out there who listen in and appreciate it deeply. Best, Barrett. Uh, well, that, I think you can see why it's my email of the week. I I, I agree entirely with all of that, Barrett. Um, and I think you're right. I think that is one of the saddest things about season. I've don't think i I've never seen as much division uh, amongst Chelsea supporters generally as I have this season. And uh, I have to be honest here. I'd be interested to hear what Joe has to say. But I don't think this is, you know, again laid completely at at Sari's door. Although it seems to be hung on the, uh, you know, the the hanger of uh, the Sari in, Sari out. Um, I think it's very much down to the modern world. Without sounding like an old fart or a yadar, as you like to say, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's it's you know, this is how we've become. You know, everything's got very split and black and white, and there's no room for grey areas or nuances or, or, or you know, taking. In stuff from both sides. I mean, as you all know, I'm I'm now I'm quite I've always been quite agnostic about Sarri. I mean, you know, there are good things about him, there are bad things about him. I criticise him when he does bad things, and I applaud him when he does good things. But I don't have to be Sarri in or Sarri out. I'm I'm Sarri, not really bothered either way. You know, because I don't think there's any point getting too involved and and, and uh, love a manager too much because they're not here long enough. It's pointless. Uh, but I, I I think it has become very split and divided, and I don't think that social media. Helps. I was talking to Martin Wickham in the pub uh, uh, on uh, last night, uh, Joe, and he—he was—he's got a great conspiracy theory. He thinks that it's all uh, a bit like uh, the whole kind of Brexit and Trump thing, where the Russians basically have been uh, on a, on a kind of a Chekist uh, a Chekist manoeuvre to divide the Western world and sow disinformation. And he thinks—I mean, he—he he said this, no word of a lie. I mean, I don't know how much he'd had to drink, but he said this. He said, "Well, basically, he said they've picked on the the thing that's least likely to get divided. Football supporters are usually very united, and he's managed to divide them. So he thinks it's a checker's plot. I don't know about that, but I, you know, I respect Martin. It's a theory. So there you go, Joe. I mean, what do you think? It has been horribly split and divided, hasn't it? There's no doubt about that.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's part of what you're saying. I think it it certainly reflects sort of societal trends at whole over the past maybe two three years. This sort of division into, as you say, you know, things being." completely binary in terms of opinion. You know, there's no real room for, for debate, particularly on Twitter. You know, I mean, I'm less inclined to, to debate people. Everyone seems to come in with an overly aggressive take and then sort of expect you to, to sort of spend, you know, 25 minutes debating with them about stuff that you're not really that, that fussed about what you've spoken about ages ago. Um, I think also it's partly a reflection. I think people are generally, let's say a little bit pissed off with, with just the state of the club. You know, maybe we've been spoiled with with all of the success that we've had with Abramovich. You know, used to being in Champions League semi-finals or quarterfinals every season, having sort of these gargantuan battles with with Barcelona and all these sort of top teams. To you know, for for a couple of weeks, you know, being a team who was in sixth, you know, scrabbling around domestically, twenty points off the off the league leaders. So I mean, I think it's a it's a little bit of a little bit of both. I think there's a, there's a general kind of resentment that we've fallen so far from Europe's top table, and you know, we're watching. City and Tottenham play today. We're watching Liverpool play. You know, we're watching sort of our counterparts kind of excel, and we're, you know, in in the lesser competition and and, and not challenging for the league title at the moment. Plus, I, I think generally this this whole sort of populist, uh, you know, kind of take in terms of how things are debated and how conversations are had, and you know that that you you only get attention if you have these extreme kind of verging opinions as well. You know, I think that that's probably the the worst new trend on on Twitter is these, you know these extreme hot takes and these extremely aggressive opinions that people have to have to be noticed and to promote their own self-interest and their own brand and stuff. And, you know, we can we can sit here and name names and look at, you know, some people who have built themselves up over these sort of divisive kind of uh, points of view that they take compared to to other fans. But for me, it, you know, it, there, there's still a, a medium, I think, or there's still a, a space to have, you know, decent conversations on social media. I think it's just a selectively who you choose to engage with. You know, I, I try to engage with people who have sensible opinions, even if, I, even if I don't agree with them, I think, you know, that that deserves respect. But it's this you know, overly aggressive nature, which I think people have, have come to expect, given sort of the political climate and all the stuff that's happening sort of socially as well, because, you know, I think football does reflect societal trends really as a whole. Um, but yeah, I think it's just a combination of those two things, to
0: yeah, I agree. It's uh, with my psychotherapist hat on, exactly, you're all bloody yeah. you're, you're all bloody paranoid, schizophrenic and split and you need to integrate yourselves. All right. Okay. Great email Barrett, thank you for that and I'll check out the Pride of London stuff or, or in fact better still, you know, tag me in a tweet on the fan cast and I'll I'll always retweet things like that. Okay, email 2. Now this is brilliant because I don't actually know who this is from because the email address was just like a weird kind of made up name. And I, he didn't sign it. So whoever you are, the mystery emailer, whoever you are who has sent this in, please let me know who you are and I will name-check you next week. Maybe you don't want to be name-checked, but uh, it was a great email. So uh, here we go. He says he's interested to hear your views on this setup. Uh, to fix things next season, we need Ballock as Director of Football and the following team. Now, I'm, I'm kind. Of, he didn't say this, but he, it might have been a she, of course, but they, they I'm, I'm presuming that they're... Also, presuming that we are going to have a transfer ban, so this will become apparent when I read this out. But this is going to tickle you pink, uh, I think, uh, Joe, when you hear some of the names. So, in goal, Kepper and Caballero. Back three of Christensen. Zou- well, this is a choice of them, basically. Back three of Christensen, Zuma, Cahill, Rudiger. Wing backs, James, Reese, James. That is, Aspie and Emerson and Jay de Silva. Midfield three, Kante flanked by uh, Ruben Loftus Cheek and Barkley. Uh, Hazard and William and uh, uh, Hudson and Doyle and Pedro on the wing, and then a world class centre forward Giroud as backup. Uh, and then to add on to that, uh, sell uh, to sell ten of the forty odd loanees like Moses, who will clearly never play for Chelsea again, and spend big on a guaranteed goal machine. Um, I think he's a man cut from the same cloth as you and me, actually, Joe. But uh, I would also suggest that our midfield looks uh a bit light you need a bit more three players than, well yeah you need more than three i don't know what happened there maybe he just forgot but you need more than three midfielders but otherwise to be honest mate if we have a transfer ban that's kind of what i've been saying you bring the best of the youth in you keep the best of the experienced players you bring the best of the lone back and then you flog the rest oh yeah and you get a damn bloody good center forward if you can but if failing that we get tammy abrahams in who he didn't mention so there you go what do you think
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think the the shout for Balak is is the interesting one.
0: Um, Yeah, definitely. You know,
1: a lot of people will make questions about he's not got the experience, et cetera, et cetera. But I think people often overlook that Chelsea, the the, the number one currency amongst the football board and Abramovich is trust. You know, we've seen people complain about people who run the club for years, but there's no way that... Granovskaya or Buck or any of these people are really going to leave the club because Abramovich favours loyalty and trust over pretty much anything. So if you bring in a player like Balak or maybe someone like Petr Cech who has that kind of trust and that relationship with Abramovich, maybe that's better than having some sort of flash know-it-all coming in who, you know, I can scout the best players in the world and I know more than everyone. If you've just got someone like Balak, who can offer a sensible footballing opinion on on stuff, he's got a, already got a you know some 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 currency in, in the bank with with Abramovich and those who run the club. So I, I do I do always like those shouts because I think that actually people often overcomplicate the the top structure of the club. If you've got trust with Abramovich and Granovskaya, which I believe Balak or Czech or someone like that would have, you know, having someone with with their their footballing opinions. I, I don't know if you've read some of the interviews that Balak's had in the past year or so, but he's he's so in tune with Chelsea. You know, he speaks about Chelsea don't use the academy, that we've fallen away in terms of the this quality in the squad and stuff. All the things that fans say, Balak says. And if you can translate that to, to Granoskaya or Gramovic, view someone who's got the respect that he has, I think that's a really, really good choice. Um, and then looking at the squad here, I think, yeah, it'd be very, very similar to what I would pick. Um, maybe midfield, you'd, you'd maybe want to chuck Mason Mountain there, and I think I agree. I do look at Tommy Abraham, and for everyone who wants to say, you know, he's just a championship player, etc., cetera, I, I would guarantee that he scores goals in this, this, in this Chelsea setup. I think he would have scored yesterday. You know, he's got that that fox in the box kind of so He's always in the right place. You know, he would have definitely got one of those tap ins yesterday. So, I think I'd add Tammy in there and maybe a couple of others. But I mean, it's not far off what I would pick.
0: Mm. Yeah, well, I, I and I agree with a lot of that actually. I thought it was a, a very interesting uh, a pick. Right, next email from Ollie Garbutt. And uh, no, I think Ollie's on Patreon actually. So thank you, Ollie. Uh, Anyway, hi Chich and JK. Thanks again for all your hard work on the podcast. Just emailing fresh after the Brighton game on Wednesday. Before I start, I thought I would email purely about what I've been seeing during the 90 minutes of the Brighton game and not what is going on on elsewhere around the club, as I feel there's too much to talk about. I have to say that what a pleasure and breath of fresh air I found the game. In my opinion, it's up there with one of the best games I've seen Chelsea play this season. Not the best Chelsea performance, but one of the most... Excuse me. one of the most entertaining, without doubt. I cannot speak highly enough of Loftus-Cheek and Hudson-Odoi. Both are not the finished products, but for me they bring something new and exciting that at this point I feel only Hazard does. Both players are on the score sheet, goals and assists, and I'd really feel like they are the future. Uh, Of course, Hazard was fantastic as usual, and at the moment it feels like Giroud is scoring in every game he starts. I feel we played with more passion and kept going for more even after we scored three. I really hope this sort of performance and team selection are emulated going forward, but I fear they may not be. Although I still think there are a lot of areas where Chelsea as a whole need to make changes, none of which I will go into now, I hope this is a turning point and a more dynamic and flexible Chelsea that play with more drive, passion and determination. Holding on to Hazard in the summer looks like it may be difficult but if we were to lose Hudson and Doy too this could be fatal. I only hope that he has a few more starts in the last six games of the season and we can see his future at Chelsea. What do you guys think Ollie Garbutt? There you go Joe what do you think? Great email.
1: Um, I think the point he says about being more dynamic and flexible is key. I think actually that, that's that been the those are the words that you'd associate with the West Ham and, and the, the, the the Bryson games is that we look more dynamic we look more flexible in the way we play. Um and I agree, you know, we have to have to be in a position where we keep Hudson the if Hazard does go this summer. I'm not saying that he's gonna be a replacement for him, but you know, eventually, you know, maybe three, four years' time, you know, we could be looking at Hudson the in the same way we look at Hazard. You know, so I think it's it's key to we keep him, but also I think it's a message that it sends to maybe guys coming back like Rhys James, who for me looks potentially like he could be a, another really, really top, top talent. Um, yeah. You want to, you want to continue this message that you will get opportunities at the club, and that the club do value, and that they will pick you if you have the uh, if you have the talent, and obviously that you, you know, you keep sort of maintaining the hard work you've put into this point. So yeah, I, I completely agree. Massively, uh, massively need to keep part of Hudson Odoi, and I I really like the point about the uh, being more dynamic and flexible because I think that those are the two things that have really helped us in the in the past two games.
0: Yeah, totally, and uh, yeah, I couldn't. I, 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 great email, Ollie. I couldn't uh, disagree yep. with any of that. All right, uh, next one is from Anna Batach- Batachargi, who we we've heard from quite a lot. He's also uh, one of our Patreons. Uh, good to hear from you, Anna. I and mean, this also came via Patreon, by the way. So you see, you put them on there, I will get them and read them out. This is brilliant because it's it's completely random, and he says, "I have a question for you guys." What is the most bizarre non-footballing incident that you uh, have all, or that you all have seen during a football match? It has to happen during the game, preferably during a Chelsea game. So let me give you two examples. And he's just put up a couple of YouTube clips. But one of them is the the bloke brushing his teeth, uh, kind of very near the dugout, which went a bit viral. Uh, And I don't think I've seen this one, but he says Liverpool's assistant coach is wet shorts. Not quite sure what that is, but I'm sure that was on... Well, you'll find them. Anyway, I might even post them if you're lucky. Anyway, finally, what a goal. It'll be such a loss when Hazard leaves. Cheers, Aniban. Well, here, here. So, Joe, can you think of any? Yeah.
1: The, the one that... I, I read this before, and I think the one that, that springs to mind is... Do you remember the Chelsea pigeon incident? Oh, yeah, Where, yeah, I yeah. Mean, it, I think it was... I can't remember who we were playing, but it was one of the most boring games. I think we were cruising, at like, we were cruising and it was boring. But for the whole of the half, there was just a pigeon <laughs> walking around the penalty area. And it, it, there was, he was getting chance. I think he even had his own Twitter account at one point. But it was, uh, yeah, that, that for me was strange because it, it, it was almost like you had 40,000 people who turn up to watch Chelsea and they spent the entire half being completely and utterly perplexed and, and just bemused by this pigeon in, in the penalty area. That, that for me was one of the weirdest things that I've seen. Because no one, really gave, you know, no one really cared about the game at that point. It was just, what is the pigeon going to do? And I think the, the, the opposition goal had kept trying to get him away. But he kept coming back down, and that was uh, that was quite funny. But yeah, that, that's probably the only thing I can think of off the top of my head.
0: Uh, good, was well, very good. One. I do remember the Chelsea pigeon actually. I also remember there was a there was a, a, a cat that got onto the pitch. I think it'd been two actually. Well, no, no, it was, it, there was only one because it was Everton versus Wolves, uh, and uh, it was running around. Eventually, it got shooed off. But that was quite funny. I'm surprised you didn't mention any involving me when I uh, when you used to sit near near me in the in Gate Seventeen. Quite often, I've done some rather stupid things. <laughs> uh, I mean, I do remember shouting at Matic, calling him a long, lanky streak of piss once. But uh, <laughs> rather oh, tackle,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, possibly. <laughs> or just probably just gave the ball away. But, um, what, I mean, I'm trying to think. Uh, the beach ball that came on in the Liverpool-Sunderland game years ago yep. was completely bonkers. I remember that. Uh, and one of the funniest things I've ever seen, I mean, this is not weird, uh, Anaban, but it's really funny, uh, we all went to, I think it was the a semi final at Wembley against Villa, when we won three 0 I can't remember the year now, but uh, we were very much in our kind of original guise of the Chelsea fancast with uh, Doctor Mark Cheltel, Ross Pablo, and Stuart and Chris Norman in tow, and possibly Darren as well at the time. And anyway, it was the first time that we had all managed to go to a game together, all of us together and sit together as well. And we celebrated this fact uh, far too hard in the Victoria <laughs> Pub in Paddington. I mean, we were in there for hours. And uh, Chris Norman, uh, the celery terrorist, was absolutely hammered. Uh, but he managed to make it into the ground without getting arrested or anything. And anyway, we we're all standing up because as it happened, we had seats in the kind of the lower tier, but yeah. right at the back. So we were all able to stand up. And we were just loving it. We were just loving, loving being at a game all together. Apart from Chris, who sat down for almost the entire 90 minutes because he was so pissed and and basically asleep apart from when we scored at which point he would wake up stand up and kind of go rah, 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 and then sit back down again and he was like he was like father jack or father ted but a footballing version and i mean it's one of the funniest things i've ever seen but there you go I the if only, i think of a you say, say, sorry, the mate. only one that
1: i can think of again is i think today is like the the 20th year anniversary where we went to coventry and we forgot our wake it so we have oh, play, yeah. yeah. Had to play in their red and black away kit for an actual that Premier is. League game, which was uh, yeah. something you're very, very unlikely to ever see again. But I remember as a kid watching, uh, I think it might be a match of the day, and being like, "This isn't Chelsea's away kit. Like, what? Why are we playing in sort of red and black? Uh, that that weird chessboard design? Wasn't it?" But uh,
0: that's right. Yeah,
1: that, that's that's yeah. also one of the things I don't think you'll ever see again. But yeah, very, very strange that we we were actually literally playing in their away kit.
0: I mean, there's probably loads. It's kind yeah. of kind of the thing you need to be in a pub and having be having a few drinks and then about about five of you around the table f- suddenly remembering these things. Make a great blog, wouldn't it, actually? Yeah. Top 20 daft things you've seen at football. Annaban, brilliant email, mate, and uh, lovely to hear from you. Thanks for uh, your Patreon contribution as well. Right, final email from Adam Ganley, who, as you'll find out, has just become a Patreon uh, supporter. And he says, How I became a Chelsea supporter... Hey fellas, love the show and as of today I'm a Patreon supporter and hopefully you guys bring home that Best Football Podcast Award because you deserve it. Well thanks Adam. Uh, The more of you that vote for us in the Football Blogging Awards, the more that will be the case. Um, I'd like to share how I became a Chelsea supporter and I'll try my best to keep it short. By the way, everybody's kept their emails short this week so much appreciated. It started in the early 2000s when I was in a high school in New York City and I'd catch the odd uh, Champions League match when I'd get home from school at 2.45. I thought it was great to watch games at that time of the day, but I was particularly fascinated by the concept of the tournament itself. A collection of the best teams on the continent vying for the title of Champions of Europe and the atmosphere created in these massive stadia by the fans and match presentation was fantastic and different from anything I'd ever seen. I still get chills whenever I hear the Champions League anthem. My love of the game was cemented by the 2006 World Cup and I knew I wanted to follow a club full-time and I knew I wanted to support an English club since being from the States, it seemed like a natural connection. I settled on Chelsea as their history most closely matched that of my American teams, the New York Mets in baseball, the New York Jets in American football or throwball, as I call it now, and the New York Rangers in hockey as lovable losers who occasionally got it right and won something but more often than not came up short. I could never see myself supporting United, as they seem like the New York Yankees of the football world. I saw Liverpool as evil and cheaters. Ghost goal, well, and many other reasons, obviously, Adam. And I don't know why exactly, but I just couldn't stand Arsenal. Probably Wenger. I couldn't be happier with my decision, and I've lived and died with all the up-and-down experiences the club has had over the past 13 years. The best thing about being a Chelsea supporter are the people, and you guys embody that perfectly. Passionate yet humble, remembering all the bad times and savouring the good. I find most supporters of other clubs are very arrogant, even over here, so I'm proud to call myself a Chelsea supporter and I've met some really great people over the years. The best of those days was in May 2017 when I made it to the bridge for the first time and got to witness JT's last match for the club and our boys lifting the Premier League trophy. I couldn't have dreamed of a better match to be my first. Sorry for the lengthy email, but before I go, I'd like to give a shout-out to the Rocky Mountain Blues, as I live in Colorado now, and I've got to know this great bunch over the past few months. Keep up the great work with the show, and as always, up the Chels. Cheers, Adam. P.S. I've been listening to you guys for a few months now, <clears throat> and I can't wait for the next podcast to come out. It always makes my day, and makes me feel closer to the club and the supporters. Keep up the great work. And keep the blue flag flying high. I'll be over on the second week of September and would love to meet you guys and buy you a pint. Adam, I can't wait. But great to meet you, mate. Thank you for that. It's a fantastic email. Uh, and by the way, the Rocky uh, Mountain Blues, I've met a few of them. They're really good boys. So uh, say hello to them and send me send them my best. <coughs> God, blimey, silly. Going a bit Bob Fleming. Right. Okay. That, people, is all we've got time for on the email front this week. Uh, we love getting your emails. Uh, so... Or, and we'll always try and read them out, as you know. I mean, there are, I've saved a few over because it got a bit crazy, but uh, please send them in. And if you want to uh, send them in, send them to chelseafancast at gmail.com and I'll uh, try and make sure you get them in by a Monday morning at the absolute latest and then you've got a, a good chance of getting it in. So there we go. Send your emails to chelseafancast at gmail.com. Now, that, I'm afraid is all we've got time for this week. Uh, it's been great fun uh, tonight. A different show, but very, very enjoyable. We will be back next Monday, April 15th, and I'll be joined uh, by Jonathan, of course. He'll be back, Dan Silver and Tony Glover, and we'll be looking back at the matches against Slavia, Prague, of course, and Liverpool uh, on the Sunday. Let's hope we win both of those. Uh, don't forget to tune into the Chelsea Fancast on Love Sport Radio between 7 o'clock and 9 p.m. this Friday and join me, Jonathan, and Mark Worrell, the return of Mark Worrell brilliant. And uh, of course Johnny Burrow, the presenter, as we digest the latest Chelsea news and look back at the Slavia Prague match and look ahead to the Liverpool match. Uh, Phone in, of course, uh, joining the show and debate with us live. That is the whole point of it. The number is 0208 7020 558 and uh, Love Sports, a London-based radio station and it is broadcast on 558am and the DAB network and, of course, you can listen to it uh, through Radio Player TuneIn or lovesportradio.com and it's always available as a podcast shortly afterwards, as are all of our shows on ChelseaFanCast.com, Acast, Apple, SoundCloud and Spotify. As well as other podcast distributors. Right, you can follow the show on Twitter at Chelsea Fancast, me at Stamford Chidge, uh, and Joe at Joe Tweedy. And of course, check out the website, ChelseaFancast.com. Many thanks to the Chelsea Fancast bloggers for their regular content going up during the week. And you can follow them on Twitter at CFCGWLB. That's the uh, Alex Churchill, the guy who likes balls. Uh, at Nick Stroudley, who bought me a pint of Guinness last night. Great to see you in the pub, Nick. At Clitheroe Blue, that's Jonathan Ellis for all of our. Reviews and previews at Dean Mears, who of course has been in Mixless tonight. Always lovely to see Dean in there. Uh, at CFC Nicholas, at Tosser of Coin, at Tom Got ninety five, at John Topier, and of course you can follow the regular Chelsea fancasters at Jonathan Kid, at Goalie fifty nine, at CFC GWLB, at Gate seventeen Marco, at Dan seventy three, at Grocer Jack UK, at Liam underscore Toomey, and at OJ Harbord. <coughs> right. Blimey, Joe, that's a I I tell you what, I don't know why that seemed harder this week to read all of that out. It's probably because <laughs> I didn't get interrupted, you see. I had to do it all in one go. Joe, you've been an absolute legend for coming on tonight and uh, sharing the airwaves with me. It's been really, as always, interesting talking to you, but I kind of had you all to myself this week, oh, so I, I, I feel rather, rather privileged about it. But yeah, great fun. I think we're seeing you again on uh, St. George's Day, if my memory serves. Nice. So, I, yeah, I look forward to speaking to you again then. And, uh, uh, you know, obviously, enjoy the football from your. Uh, your, your pub in Denmark, yes, I presume. Yes, I will, yes. Yeah, accompanied by lots of lovely beer and lovely ladies, no doubt. <laughs> so anyway, have a great weekend, yes, mate, and I'll, I'll, I'll catch up with you soon. Now, you lot out there, you've been brilliant too, always the mix of people. Uh, I mean, if I don't get to kind of reply to you while we're on air, I always read what you're saying, and it's always interesting to see what you have to say. Massive message going out to everybody listening to this show. Do not forget to vote for the Chelsea Fancast as best podcast in the Football Blogging Awards on Twitter, Instagram, and the website. Check out Twitter for details. Do it because we don't want to lose to the. But there are three Arsenal podcasts in there. We can't get beaten by them. Right, that's it. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Until then, keep it blue, keep it carefree, and keep it Chelsea. Up the Chelsea!